Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast. I'm Jamin Bull, and today we've got a jam-packed show full of news. We're going to be covering the latest developments in the Casio court case, all the latest uh, news updates on Paris Jackson and what she's up to. New Tito Jackson singles just come out. King Vention's coming up with an awesome lineup of guests later in the year. Uh, Michael Jackson wanting to play Professor X in the X-Men back in the day. Uh, some new Jackson's shows coming up as well, all on this episode of the MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Well, here we are, episode 53 of the MJ Cast. Unfortunately, Q isn't here today. He's off traveling around the world. I think he spent the last week uh, in Disneyland, Hong Kong, really enjoying his time there. And and I think today he's off to uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia to relax there with the hubs. But I'm here with co-host Charles Thompson. Charles, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today to to host the show. No problem. It's pretty pretty late where you are, as usual. 11.40 p.m. (laughs) 11.40 p.m. kickoff time and we've got a big show of news coming up. So, uh, well, strap in and uh, we're going to cover some of that soon. We've also got one of your close friends here as well, Charles, a debut guest on the MJ cast, Mr. Greg Spinks. Greg, how are you going? Not so bad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm really happy that you can finally be on the show. We've spoken about it for a couple of months at this point, and um, it's great that you can be here. Yeah, I'm very much honored. Thank you. That's all right. Now, you've got you to tell me a little bit of the backstory here, because I know that you, you're friends with Charles. You, you guys live in a similar place. Uh, is that right? Yeah, uh, we lived in the same town years and years ago. We actually went to school together, which is quite odd now that we're reconnected in this way, but we never knew that we were uh, Michael fans before. Oh, wow. So, you, you guys didn't interact much at school? Well, yeah, we did a little because we lived near each other, but we were um, in different year groups at school. Greg was a year older than me. But what happened was the year Michael died, 2009, about August, John Landis came to the UK and did a special midnight screening of Thriller in London. And I went up there and in the cinema foyer, I bump into Greg. We both were talking to John Landis at the same time. And it was like, what are you doing here? So we'd been at school together and we live right near each other all those years. And we neither of us had any idea that the other was so involved in the Michael fan community. I see. Now, I, I, Greg, you know, I've known about you for a long time. We, we didn't really talk uh, that much back in the day when Michael was still alive. But I did know of you definitely because I was a member of uh, a Michael Jackson forum that you actually ran, Mac, uh, Maximum Jackson. Yeah, I do actually remember you, uh, your, your unique name. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I, I was on there and I, I absolutely loved it. That was my, 
my I, I went around to a few different forums before I found Maximum Jackson. Um, I was on MJJF and a couple of different other ones. And then finally, I, I sort of stumbled upon Max Jackson's kind of settled on there as my main forum because for, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just had like a larger amount of Australian users than a lot of the other forums. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it was it was absolutely great. It was it was great in its heyday. Obviously, we had Damien on the team as well. Who yeah. you know, uh, that's how I met him. A big Australian fan. So <laughs> yeah, actually, I knew him before that. Are we the first time? I once Damien and I's friendship's really odd because I I really can't remember where it started. Like he's just been this guy that's always sort of that I've interacted with. So one day I, I sort of started researching when was the first time I actually interacted with this guy online. And um, I found a thread that we actually were interacting on on MJJF about the Invincible album, I think a couple of years after it came out, a few years after it came out. And then obviously, yeah, he, he went to Max Jackson, became your, your news reporter. But without, without going into too much detail, we're going we're gonna to get to that a little bit later on in our main discussion topic. We're going to delve right into your fan story as a Michael Jackson fan and your um, work at Maximum Jackson and everything you did around that time. So I'm looking forward to getting to that. Before we get into all the news and things today, I just want to qu- uh, give a quick dedication for this show, for episode 53. We're actually going to dedicate this one to Dee Dee Jackson, uh, mother of the three three T-boys, Taj, Tarrell, and TJ. Unfortunately, um, we know that Dee Dee did pass away when they were very young um, due to tragic circumstances, but the boys have, have really taken that situation and uh, turned it all around into a, a big positive scenario, and they've they've created the DD Jackson Foundation. Uh, and every year on April first, which is DD Jackson's birthday, um, it is Three T Day, and it's a day that we uh, we honor the boys and we honor their mother and Tito as well, the family. And uh, I want you to think about going to the DD Jackson website. Uh, it's a foundation website. You can go there by going to ddjf.org. They do some incredible work. I've got a little snippet of information here I'm looking at from their website, which talks about what they do. And uh, what DD Jackson Foundation actually does is they empower and enable communities to make small, realistic contributions to meaningful causes, changing lives and the lives of children along the way. They work to restore the innocence, joy, and freedom of youth, even when all hope seems lost. They understand that children not only um, experience hardships, but also... As they play, grow, and transcend their challenges, they represent hope and a belief that the best is yet to come. So I want you guys to think about today, uh, listening to 3T, enjoying their music, and uh, maybe jumping on D.D. Jackson Foundation's website and donating a a couple of dollars here or there and uh, continue their great work. So um, yeah, thanks, fellas from 3T. I think you're doing an amazing job. Keep the music coming and keep the great work coming that you do with the D.D. Jackson Foundation. All right, on to the news. So, first cab off the ranks, a bit of follow-up. In a previous show, we talked about um, Paris Jackson making her television debut on a show called Star. She did an interview around her uh, performance and she actually played a character on it called Rachel Wells, um, who's a social media guru. Apparently, this is a show, I, I think it's the same guy, but you know, the dancer, Lee Daniels, I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a drama that's actually been put together by him. I haven't watched any of the show at all, but I did see Paris Jackson snippet on it. I thought it was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I, I, it was quite surprising to see her in that role and to pick it up quite so well. I mean, it's not like I had any doubts at all, but watching it was quite quite an eye opener, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely got the talent to to be doing acting. I, I was kind of shocked at how aggressive her character was. <laughs> like anything yeah. I've seen of her, like I've always kind of taken her as you know a pretty very modest, uh, polite person. And then when I saw her being so aggressive on that show to the to the other cast members, I was like, oh my god, or the other characters, I should say. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, it was quite quite interesting to watch. Um, looking forward to seeing the rest, really. Yeah, I hope she continues in that, you know, that career doing different act- acting roles. I think in the day she was down to actually do some kind of movie or something. I, that didn't come to pass. But, uh, yeah, hopefully she f- she finds some, some good roles to do. Yeah, hopefully. Looks like it's the start of something big. Charles, did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I, I, uh, I only saw Paris's bit. I didn't really want to watch the whole thing. But... Um, yeah, I didn't really like it, but that was just because her character was so horrible. Yeah, she was. That was really mean. Yeah, it was a really horrible character, so I kind of, um, I don't know, I just, uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> I know that's, I know that's the point, and, you know, hopefully <laughs> You're not meant to like Paris her, is, <laughs> Yeah, pa- Paris is hopefully not horrible, and she was just doing good acting, but, yeah. Anyway, good luck to her. And, um, you know, all the modelling stuff is, is looking great as well. She's looking really beautiful and I think Michael would be very proud. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool how she's sort of um, like her. Uh, there's actually an article online today. I haven't really read it. It's only come out in the last couple of days. It's a pretty, I don't know what to make of the headline. I'll just do a quick news uh, Google search for it now and I'll read you guys the headline. Paris Jackson inside her calculated rise to fame. And I don't know what I think about that headline. Like I'm just, I'm reflecting on like the last couple of months in her life. And, you know, there has been, she's been out in the public a lot more. She's done two major interviews in the last two months. She's done a range of photo shoots. She's modeling now. She's actually, you know, working for a modeling agency. She's presented at the Grammys. She's now been on a TV show. So there's a lot going on in the world of Paris Jackson. I'm, I'm yet to read this article. I don't know if I will. It sounds a little bit biased already from the headline. But, um, you know, it makes you and think. And she like, also is, um, she's due to present the GLAAD awards as well. That's right. That's she's right. a pretty big deal. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big change, I guess, or a turning point in her career from, you know, being the king of pop's daughter, well, she'll always be that. But, you know, to being somebody that's that's doing a lot of stuff in her own right. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's what she's always wanted as well. She, I'm pretty sure that when she did that Oprah interview, she said that it was her goal to be, um, to be an actress. And as you say, she was um, plugging a film at that point that never got made. So I'm not sure it's so unfair that headline i mean she seems to have been planning on becoming a famous actress for about five years or something yeah that's right and i mean i remember michael himself actually talking in interviews in the day saying that he'd be happy for his kids to go into show business as long as they knew what the risks were and as long as they wanted to do it even better than he did (laughs) 
Well, it's not going to be very difficult to do the acting side better than he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> what's, that, what's that movie he did where he was in the sky talking to people that had crashed on a Castaway. Yeah, that's it. Cast, come on. It's Castaway. Yeah. Surely he should have won an Oscar for that. Come on. That was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> did he film that in Neverland in his library? Yeah, and they had to keep stopping filming because the train kept driving past. <laughs> the Neverland train. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thanks, Rob Swinson. <laughs> All right, so, Charles, hit us with a Casio update. Okay, so it's not a major update, but the last time we discussed the Casio case, so going back, the... Plaintiff in the case is Vera Sirova. She's a fan. She is suing assorted defendants over the alleged inclusion of fake tracks on a posthumous Michael Jackson album, the first posthumous album titled Michael. The three allegedly fake tracks are Breaking News, Monster, and Keep Your Head Up. The defendants who include John Branker, Sony, MJJ Productions, Angelixon Productions, Eddie Cassio, James Port, and some others responded by claiming this was a slap case, a strategic lawsuit against public participation, namely that by saying Michael Jackson was the vocalist on those three tracks, they were contributing to a public interest debate and their speech was protected by the First Amendment. Mr. Rover says no, uh, this was not a public interest debate. This was commercial speech. You were making these comments in an attempt to sell a product uh, and your comments were inaccurate. And this is essentially a fraud, a consumer fraud. So the slap case went on for about a year and then a judge ruled that one of the instances which Mr. Rover was quoting which was when Eddie Cassio uh, appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show to defend the tracks, was a public interest debate and did not constitute purely commercial speech. On that basis, um, Eddie Cassio and the Angelixon defendants, i.e. Eddie Cassio, Angelixon Productions and James Port, said that they no longer were party to the suit because that was the only speech included in the case which they had contributed to they said, therefore, that their involvement in the case was over and they asked for Mr. Rover to pay their legal costs, which totaled $50,301. Mr. Rover, in these new documents that we have access to, is disputing uh, the fact that she should pay those costs. She says that although the Oprah interview has been excluded now from the case, she holds uh, those three defendants responsible still for the speech on the Michael album cover, which said that the uh, songs were sung by Michael Jackson, and also for the assertion in a television advert or a video advert for the album that the songs were performed by Michael Jackson. Uh, she says, quote, contrary to what Angelixon defendants claim in their motion for fees and costs, those claims are still viable and pending against them. Uh, so effectively, she's saying the Angelics and defendants took the songs to Sony and the estate, sold the songs to Sony and the estate, and told Sony and the estate 
that they were performed by Michael Jackson. Therefore, they contributed to and are partly responsible for the speech on the album cover and in the video advert, which says that the songs are performed by Michael Jackson. Uh, she says, therefore, Angelics and defendants are not the prevailing defendants in the case uh, because the result, which was the uh, removal of the Oprah interview from the case, was, quote, so insignificant that the party did not achieve any practical benefit. Uh, in another document, which is freshly available to us, the Angelics and defendants respond to her argument. They say that Ms. Sarova previously claimed that it was Sony and the estate that were responsible for the album cover and the video advert, not the Angelics and Defendants, and that the court held that that was the case. They say that Mr. Rover has utterly failed to meet her burden to establish by a competent and admissible evidence a probability that she will prevail at trial. Therefore, they insist they are the prevailing parties and they are entitled to their legal fees. So we await a resolution to the issue as to whether the Angelics and defendants will remain invo involved in the case and whether Mr. Rover will be forced to pay them more than $50,000. Well, thanks for that update. I mean, it's just it just reminds me hearing all that, how silly it is that Vera is the one suing Angelics and it should be the estate suing them in the first place. Um, what's, what, what's the deal with... What's the deal with um, Oprah, like I, I just listen to what you're saying, and and you said that Oprah, the Oprah uh, interview, is not included now in this portion of the case. What what do you mean by that? Okay, so what happened was Miss Sarova brought the case, and she said these defendants, the listed defendants, Branker, MJJ Productions, Sony, James Port, Eddie Cassio, Angelics and Productions, etc. They all claim that Michael Jackson was the vocalist on th these three songs, which yeah. I say are fake. And here is a list of instances on which they said the songs were sung by Michael Jackson. And she points to the album cover. Uh, she points to a video advert which promoted yeah. the album. And she points to an Oprah Winfrey show yeah. where Eddie where Cassio appeared yeah. with his family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened was they then file this motion, the defendants, so they say this is a slap movement, strategic yeah. lawsuit against public participation. You are saying that by contributing to a public interest debate, we were committing commercial speech. We say we were not. So the whole debate from then on, which lasted for about a year, was to determine whether any of those statements were commercial speech. Got it. Got and it. the judge eventually said the Oprah interview was not purely commercial speech. It was, by that point, there was a major public debate ongoing about whether the songs were real. Therefore, I cannot hold that this is purely commercial speech and I exclude it from the lawsuit. So the lawsuit is continuing but only over the claim on the album cover and the claim on the video advert. Now, originally also, there was uh, included in the list of instances was Howard Weitzman's statement where he said that the songs were real and that they'd held a listening session and that all these people had concluded that they were real. Um, but that also was excluded from the case, I believe, 
uh, because it was not purely commercial speech because the judge held that by that point it was a contribution to a major public interest debate and not purely devised to sell the album. I would obviously disagree with that, uh, but that was the decision. So that um, we're, we're talking specifically just about the, the slap um, portion of the case, aren't we? The actual, if this goes to trial, then obviously the Oprah interview and Howard Weitzman's statement will be able to be discussed in that in that forum. The, they may be able to be discussed, but they won't be, you won't be, the jury or the judge would not be able to determine that the defendant's were uh, guilty of what Miss Rover says on the basis of those statements. Got it. So um, they are saying your lawsuit that you've brought is for, is basically saying we have used commercial speech to trick consumers. It's like consumer fraud. Yeah. These statements are protected by the First Amendment, so you cannot sue us over these statements. So the judge has basically held that even if the contents of Howard Whiteman's statement Howard Weitzman's statement and um, the contents of the Oprah interview were lies. Miss Sarova cannot sue over them because they were not commercial speech. I understand that, that she's not able to sue over them. I'm just hoping that if it goes to trial, that those two instances can still be used as evidence that the um, that Sony and the estate did try to trick the public because they're key, key um, parts to the story. Like we know on the Oprah interview that Teddy Riley really does dance around this subject uh, and what he says is very telling. You know, like when he's actually asked about whether it's Michael's vocals on the album, he says nobody can do a scream like Michael. And he's specifically talking about the vocal ad-libs that are, in, that are spliced into the songs. He's not actually lying when he talks because he's talking about real Michael vocals that have been spliced into the song to make it sound like him. Likewise, in the Howard Weitzman um, statement, he talks about um, all of these people going to the listening session, Michael Jackson collaborators, um, saying it's Michael when they actually didn't. They're actually on record saying they didn't say what, what Howard says they said. So, I think that it's really important that those two instances are included in the case. Maybe not the case isn't based on them, but they are at least discussed because they're key windows into, into the behavior of the estate and Angelicson. I agree. And um, I also massively disagree with the conclusion that Howard Weitzman's statement was not commercial speech because clearly the reason that statement was issued was in order to preserve the commercial viability of the album. But nonetheless, that is the decision that's been made, unfortunately. But um, Mm. we just have to see how it goes. I mean, I certainly hope that the statement and the contradictory comments from those who were accused in the statement of having supported these songs, I hope that is able to come into evidence because, as you say it, it demonstrates the estate's dishonesty. Uh, you know, this whole case hinges on dishonesty with Mr. Rover saying that fake songs have been released for sale, for profit. And um, the fact that they would issue this statement where they claim that this whole list of people have confirmed they're real when in fact that wasn't true, mm. it, it demonstrates that, that these defendants are not to be trusted. Definitely. 
Well, hopefully there's a resolution soon and then it goes to, I mean, I'm just hoping it goes to trial so we can actually, you know, hear some uh, solid evidence around this situation, but we'll see how that goes. If you want to look uh, into the court documents any further, you can jump onto the mjcast.com slash Casio case. Uh, We make sure to put every court document that comes out around this court case straight on there. Um, You can check them out. And then we've also got hyperlinked next to those documents as well, the different episodes where Charles joins us to discuss the developments. Uh, We'll move on to the news now. And interestingly, one of the first news items we're going to talk about is related to the Casio case as well. Uh, Jason Malachi, uh, Michael Jackson vocal impersonator, I guess you could say. I don't know whether he'd like being called that. But um, singer Jason Malachi is back. Uh, with with some new music, uh, <laughs> very very controversial in, individual in the the Michael Jackson fan world. He is the person that uh, most Michael Jackson fans who disagree with the Casio tracks think is the vocalist on those songs rather than Michael Jackson. Um, and he is back doing his thing, working with a collaborator by the name of Red R E D. Um, they've put out uh, a song. It, it is one of his older songs, but it's been remixed. They've done a music video to it. They've put it up on YouTube. And uh, uh, he's also back with a couple of Instagram videos and things that he's made with her um, actually singing Michael Jackson songs. There's one with him singing Man in the Mirror, um, getting the lyrics completely wrong, <laughs> but um, nevertheless trying to sing Man in the Mirror. And just... It just really uh, amazes me that this guy has gone through so much uh, controversy um, since 2010, being accused of being on these fake Michael Jackson songs and uh, was just totally lying low for so many years, not wanting to talk to anybody, and then is suddenly back, now doing Michael Jackson vocal impersonations on Instagram, sounding exactly like the guy on the on the Casio songs. <laughs> So um, it's all very interesting to me. Greg, what do you think about this development? It leaves a bad taste in your mouth, at least for me, because there's, there's this nagging feeling, this nagging thing in the back of your mind that this ongoing case is always going on. But to stir the pot and for something like this to come back or someone like him to come back, I find it it's not great. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I, I spoke to him actually on... Um on uh, Twitter DM, we had a conversation about this because I called him out. I was on, I, I just can't stomach this kind of thing. I can't ignore it. Like I am of the belief that he and Eddie Cassio masterminded the greatest fraud in uh, music history. And, uh, you know, nonetheless against uh, the greatest artist in music history who absolutely cared deeply about his musical legacy, which has now been, um, in some way tarnished by what they did. So I, I called him out and I said on Twitter about him needing to apologize. And I was like, well, you know, if you're going to put this kind of music out and you're going to put these kind of videos out, cool, but first you need to come clean on what you did and apologize and be truthful. Um, and he replied to me on Twitter DM and we got into a, a fairly uh, interesting discussion around his his behavior. And he um, he basically persisted all the way through the conversation that he's not the singer on the tracks. You know, just totally saying it's not him and um, that he's he's going to do a nationwide media interview to tell everybody <laughs> the truth around the, the situation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he claims that the 2010 situation ruined his album release of the album Critical, which he'd been working towards for a very long time. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting conversation, but one where he wasn't really willing to, you know, take any ownership over what happened in 2010. Anyway, I guess we'll uh, wow. guess we'll find out more as the court case moves forward. Yeah, watch this space, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, on to some more positive news. 3T. Oh, actually, this one isn't so positive. <laughs> 3T <laughs> had a, um, a an ongoing lawsuit against Radar Online uh, for some of the terrible things that they were saying about Michael Jackson and, and his relationship with his nephews. Um, and they ended up retracting that lawsuit recently and uh, taking it away. And I'd imagine it would be uh, due to some kind of settlement that's been given to them from Radar Online. I'm not sure about the details of that. Charles, do you know any, any inside information on that one? I'm afraid I don't. I actually did contact Taj to see if he would be happy to discuss what's happened on the show, but I didn't hear back. Um, so, I, unfortunately, I have no idea whether this is a settlement situation or whether they have simply withdrawn the case. I have no idea. Yeah, I guess we won't know. But, uh, you know, it is interesting um, to think about 3T and how they uh, always, you know, they, they aren't people that sort of shy away from challenging these scenarios in court as well, which is really good. I think it's important that that happens um, because so often... Michael and his family's name is dragged through the mud and nothing's really done about it in a legal sense. So it's good that they actually do challenge these different publications that say these things. Um, and hopefully there has been some kind of settlement because I have no doubt in my mind that what was written by Radar Online caused you know, long-lasting damage to Michael's reputation and his nephew's reputation, which is sad. Yeah, it's his nephew's reputations which matter in this instance yeah. because uh, defamation does not apply to the dead. So mm. basically, once you die, you become fair game, as stupid as that is. So the allegation in this case, I believe, was that uh, 3T had had knowledge of Michael Jackson abusing children and had helped to cover it up. And also that Michael had used photographs of 3T from the Y video shoot to arouse young boys. Those were the allegations that were made by Radar Online, uh, which clearly are highly defamatory towards 3T. So I would hope that there's been some kind of settlement that said, American libel laws are quite lax compared to UK libel laws. It's, um, it's almost like a Wild West in America because um, as soon as you try to go after somebody for defamation, they just say, well, First Amendment, freedom of speech. And we have freedom of speech in the UK as well, but um, really our defamation laws trumpet. So it's a lot easier to win a defamation case in the UK than the US. So I would be very interested to know the outcome of this case, but unfortunately, I just have no idea what's happened. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see if we can keep digging to the bottom of that one and uh, give you guys a bit of follow-up in the future, but we'll see what goes on there. Uh, hmm. Real positive news now. Tito Jackson 
has just dropped Charles' favourite new song called When the Magic Happens, featuring Jocelyn Brown. Came out last night. I downloaded a copy. I bought a coffee off iTunes. I really like it. I think it's cool. You know, it's upbeat. It's fun. I love the vocal harmonies on it, especially in the chorus. I think it's a great, great track. I, I would be interested to hear what it sounds like in an earlier form, in a more sort of organic, you know, demo sounding form. I think that a lot of Tito's stuff on his new album is very, very polished and produced. And, and that's good. That's fine. I don't mind that. That's cool. I, I love my favorite Tito stuff is where he's sounding really raw, really raw and, and bluesy and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it'll be interesting if, if we get to hear any of that sort of more raw sounding Tito material. But what did you guys think? Uh, Charles, did you get a chance to listen to this song? I know you love it. Well, it is no secret that I am not a fan of digital sounding music, not a fan of computer music, not a fan of auto-tune. So this song, I'm afraid, is not up my alley. I went and saw Tito when he did his solo gig in the UK, and he was fantastic. And I love Tito live. But as you said, a lot of his studio output is way too clean, way too produced, and way too polished for me. I'd far prefer he went into the studio with a live band and recorded the song through and that was it. This is just, it, it sounds like club music and um, I frankly would rather wear sandpaper underwear. <laughs> Thanks, granddad. Um, so, <laughs> so, Greg, what do you reckon? Uh, of what I have listened to it. Yeah, I share much of the same enthusiasm as Charles towards the track. Uh, however, uh, I definitely wouldn't rather to wear sandpaper underwear. I, I think you should just keep with the original sound that they've always had rather than go this this direction. But, you know, it might, it might scream and, and do good things for, for some people, for some fans. But me personally, no, I prefer other tracks. Uh, I like Get It Baby. Get It Baby is, is, is a good track for me, but uh, not this one. Well, we'll be sure to post any updates on new Tito music coming. There's a new, I think he actually shared another new song today. It's not a single, but more sort of like a promo song, I think, um, that he's just shared online as well from SoundCloud. So keep your eye on Tito's Twitter account. It is at TitoJackson5. He's at Popper3T on Instagram and Tito Jackson on Facebook. And that's where you can see all the updates on his new music coming out. I, for one, am enjoying new music. I do. I would like the guys are saying I would prefer um, to hear a little bit more raw sort of Tito stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not every day you get new new music from a Jackson. And um, I'm I'm really enjoying Tito's Tito's first uh, solo album. So, Kingvention tickets are now on sale. This is the world's biggest Michael Jackson convention. This is its third year now that it'll be running. 30th of September, 2017. Special guests that are announced so far are Eddie Garcia, dancer on the Bad and Dangerous tours, as well as the Way You Make Me Feel video. Dorian Holly, vocalist on the Bad, Dangerous and History tours, and also the This Is It uh, tour as well. And Stephen Paul Witsit. I haven't actually heard of this guy, but he was apparently photographer for Michael Jackson between 92 and 96. So three very interesting guests there. Uh, I would especially like to hear from um, Dorian. I mean, this this is a guy who's actually toured with Michael for four tours. 
uh, bad, dangerous history, and this is it, which is absolutely incredible. This is a long-standing veteran of Michael's live performances. What insights he would have into into Michael as well. The Kingvention this year is actually set around a theme. Um, the theme is Michael's career as a live performer. Um, so there's going to be lots of artistic and video installations happening around Michael's live performances. And, um, of course, those three guests who are going to be able to give some great, great insights as well. It is happening in London, so great central location for people um, from Europe and the UK who are able to go along and and check out this uh, great uh, Michael Jackson convention. They also have uh, people that go that set up booths as well around the place that have their own Michael Jackson products. I know last year the ladies from The Dream Lives On, Karen and Elizabeth, the ladies from the Michael Jackson Academia Studies website. And uh, I believe also Mike Smallcomb, author of Making Michael, went along as well. So looking forward to Kingvention. I went to their uh, convention last year and um, I was pleasantly surprised. It was I was actually quite upset with myself because I was a little bit late to the to the convention itself and I missed some great things. But um, nevertheless, it was quite interesting and uh, there were some good guests last year and like you said there is some good uh, art installations there was a lot of people's collections uh, photos that I've never seen before yeah it was pretty cool and then um, later in the evening they they had a disco and I think they're having the same thing again this year like an after party oh wow that's that's cool and tell me a little bit because I've never actually been so tell me a bit about what it's like when you go there The uh, uh, we've heard from um, some other guests before what it's like sort of on the show floor but talk to me more about the actual uh, seminars that happen are they quite long or are they short what are they like yeah it's sort of like a live Q&A you know they're, they're sitting on a stage you've got someone else um, one of the hosts sitting there with a microphone they just ask some questions then they they intimately ask if guests have questions for those particular guests as well. So it's pretty interactive, pretty cool. Pretty awesome. I heard that um, last year, did you see, uh, who's the studio engineer that went last year? Um, the name escapes me. but uh, uh, Russo, Tom Russo. Did you see him talk? Tom Russo. Yeah, that, that was the one that um, I caught the end of, of his particular talk, which, you know, they, they played some interesting things. That's what I want to ask uh, you which, about, because I, I want to get the inside goss here. I've heard that he played um, some pretty rare stuff. I did manage to catch one song, which was pretty awesome, but there was a few others that, that was played before my arrival, which, yeah. you know, didn't sit well with myself. I wasn't very happy with that. Yeah, I just remember the name. Um, the name of a song that I did hear was uh, Ghost of Another Lover. Okay, so you heard Ghost of Another Lover, and I have not heard that song. So what era is this song from? This song from memory, and uh, forgive me, every, everyone, if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe it was Dangerous Era. Was it Was it like an early version of the song Ghosts, or is it scary? It's... No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it's just very different. Is it? Was it complete? How complete was the vocal? I would say, in in terms of a demo, um, I would say it was probably fifty percent complete. But it wasn't very. It wasn't sketchy. It wasn't mumbly. Yeah, it's releasable. 
Wow. Okay, that's cool. This is a, like like James Alay said in our um, Michael Prince special. There is a treasure trove of songs out there to hear, and I hope one day I get to hear that song. You turn up the uh, background a bit. A little more echo would be nice too.
Hi, this is Michael Prince, studio engineer and producer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. And that was Michael Jackson, Human Nature, Louis LaRoche Remix. So, last year, the Jacksons released a press release where they announced that to celebrate their 50th anniversary this year, they will release a book and will embark on a corresponding tour. In the last month or so, the Jacksons have announced a series of extra dates on their 50th anniversary tour, all of them so far in the UK. They have dates lined up in Scarborough at Blenheim Palace at the Cardiff Motorpoint Arena at the Glastonbury Festival, uh, which is their first ever appearance there, at Newmarket Racecourse, at the Love Supreme Festival, Greenwich Music Time, and in Liverpool at Haydock Park Racecourse. Uh, so what are we expecting from the tour, guys? Are you looking forward to it? Are you excited? Well, seeing as that I don't live in the UK um, and not really able to travel there, I'm excited for it that lots of people are going to be able to go, but insanely jealous as well. And I'm really hoping that they continue their tour to include Australia. Well, the press release that came out did say that they would stage a series of live and televised events around the world to mark their 50th anniversary and the book that they're releasing. So it's possible, I would say, that you may get a couple of Australian dates yeah, I hope so. I'm just sort of wondering whether, because a lot of the ones that are doing at the moment are more festivals, aren't they, rather than sort of once-off gigs? Yeah, almost exclusively festivals. I think the, the Cardiff Motorpoint Arena gig may be a standalone, but as far as I'm aware, every other date that they're doing is a festival. Now, not that's not to say it's not necessarily a festival in the same way as Glastonbury, uh, which is obviously a weekend event with hundreds of acts on different stages. So the Greenwich gig and the Newmarket gig, for instance, those are festivals which are sort of um, a long-running series of concerts, but they will be standalone concerts, uh, but part of a wider program, which is referred to as a festival. So the Greenwich organisers have already confirmed on Facebook that it will be a full-length show and um, Newmarket as well have confirmed that that show will be full length too. Right, so you're not paying money to go and see the Jacksons sing eight songs. Exactly, yes. So they have done festivals in the past uh, where they perform a reduced set. So notably uh, when Greg and I went to see them at the proms, the BBC proms in the park, and they played live with the BBC orchestra, they reduced their set to about 40 minutes. But... According to the New Market event website, this will be a 90-minute concert from the Jacksons. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm just so jealous. I really hope – I mean, I don't know how much longer these guys are going to be playing for. You know, this is their 50th anniversary. I don't see them, you know, doing this forever. So hopefully I get the chance to see them soon. Greg, you've seen the Jacksons live, haven't you? Yeah, uh, the only time that I have seen them was with Charles um, at the proms, but it was pretty cool. I mean, it's it's always good to say that you've seen the the Jacksons, obviously minus one key member, but you know it was good. Or two key members, and that's what we asked Tito when we spoke to him. Is like, when's Randy coming back? <laughs> and he said they're working on. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't really answer that, did he? He said something about 
we need to slap him around the head a few more times or, or something. <laughs> I'm sure that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've, uh, uh, this will be, I'm going to go and see them on this tour and it will be my fourth time seeing the Jacksons. And they are, in my opinion, a truly fantastic live act. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, it won't be the same without Michael. Well, of course it won't be the same without Michael, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be good. Jermaine is yeah. a very competent lead singer. Their harmonies are still fantastic. Their band is incredible. And the catalogue, you know, that catalogue, it wouldn't matter who was playing it. You know, if, if there was um, a concert going on in London or somewhere where it was just a, any old band and all they were going to be doing was performing big band routines of the Jackson songs, I'd be there because it's an incredible catalogue of fantastic music. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you. And on that note around Jermaine, he is, he is a really excellent singer. And I remember there's actually a point in Michael's career where um, Jermaine gave Michael feedback or something on his vocal and was saying like that's, you know, that was a really good vocal performance. I don't know whether it was on a song or something. And Michael said that's incredible praise, especially coming from Jermaine because he had such respect for his brother's singing. I love listening to Jermaine sing live. He's, he is great. Yeah, I think he's a great live vocalist. I mean, he um, he he's, he has a great ability to emote. He sings on these tours quite often, Smile and Gone Too Soon, in tribute to Michael, and they're always such moving performances, and he always does a fantastic job, too, on um, I'll Be There. One of the best clips, actually, is um, they did I'll Be There live in Antwerp, in 2012 again they were playing live with a, a big orchestra and Jermaine's vocal performance on I'll Be There on that video is absolutely hair raising it just makes all the hairs on the back of your neck stand up it's fantastic is, is that the same uh, show where they did uh, Can You Feel It obviously and with the live orchestra and it was just astounding yeah. it was amazing yeah I think it is the same show okay so, in completely different news, we're going to talk a little bit about Michael Jackson wanting to play Professor X in the comic book movie series X-Men. Uh, Michael, of course, had a very long history uh, being involved with the comic book world. There's great, great footage on YouTube of Michael visiting the Marvel Studios, talking with Stan Lee um, all about Marvel. And I think it was around that time he was actually considering purchasing uh, Marvel Comics. Imagine what would have happened if Michael had have gone through with that purchase and... Uh, and uh, capitalized on all these great comic book movies that have been coming out over the past 10 to 15 years. But nonetheless, Michael um, didn't purchase Marvel, but was allegedly interested in playing uh, the character of Professor Charles Xavier in the films X-Men 1 and 2. He went to a casting meeting, apparently, according to David Hayter, who was the... um, the writer of the script for X-Men 1 and 2. And Michael went um, and and apparently tried out to to play Professor X. Uh, I know Q's got a lot of thoughts on this subject, being such a massive comic book nerd himself. Unfortunately, he can't be here to talk about it. He's a little bit dubious as to whether Michael would have uh, gone to that audition. I think he, he, he seems to think that Michael was more interested in purchasing the franchise or being involved in the franchise somehow rather than actually playing a character in it. But it is interesting to think about nonetheless. I mean, David Hayter is a guy that would probably know. I mean, he wrote the films. 
So who knows what actually happened there? Uh, it's something we may never get to the bottom of. We may never get to know the answer to. I personally can't see Michael playing that character very well. Uh, he's a, he was a great actor. I think Michael was a good actor, but Xavier, <laughs> Xavier was like a, a really unique sort of character that I just don't know if Michael could have pulled off. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the story also says that Janet Jackson also went to auditions to play Storm, the character of Storm, who Halle Berry ended up playing eventually. I think she would have been great in that role as well. Um, but yeah, interesting to think about as a bit of a thought experiment nonetheless as well. Um, I'm glad it didn't happen. <laughs> you don't think it would have worked out too well? <laughs> no. I mean, it may not be true because there was a story that came out a while ago about Michael supposedly wanted to play Jar Jar Binks, which I was extremely skeptical about. <laughs> that would have been like um, the end. That would have been worse than the allegations. <laughs> if Michael had have gone through with that role, <laughs> it would have just absolutely ruined his the rest of his career. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we have evidence of Michael attempting to venture into the film world around this time, which was firstly that uh, silly men in black shit. And then the miscast away disaster. And um, he was actually in the middle of trying to purchase an animated film company when the second round of allegations hit in 2003, that might have been successful. See, I can, I can sort of see Michael, maybe having some success as a voice actor. But the problem was that he looked so unique by that time that he really could not convincingly play anybody other than Michael Jackson without being bundled under heaps of latex and makeup. And what casting director or or filmmaker is going to hire somebody to play a part when they're going to have to spend hours and hours and, and probably millions of dollars across the film shoot to keep transforming them into somebody else so that they can convincingly play a role. It was not practical or feasible, really. So, you know, the, the idea of Michael having his own studio, animation studio, where he could have voiced characters and stuff, that could have worked out. But all this uh, malarkey about him um, playing... Professor X and, you know, <laughs> supposedly was going to play Edgar Allan Poe at one point and blah, blah, blah. It just all sounded like um, bad news to me. Bad news, ripe for mockery, and um, glad it didn't happen. I could have seen him getting into directing, though. I, I don't see it, to be honest. I think directing a film is an extremely difficult, stressful, long-winded job. And um, I just don't know that Michael had the discipline to do something like that. Just based on you know, what we know about him, he often would just not show up for stuff. He, If he did show up, he'd show up really late. He had a, a real tendency to agree to do things and then try and pull out halfway through. I just don't see it. I don't see Michael being on a film set 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day for six months. I, don't, I, I just don't see that happening. I think it's interesting what you mentioned about Janet because 
they always had that rivalry between each other. And I'd be interested to know if um, if she was allegedly casted for it, if she was actually casted before Michael. And then obviously he showed interest after because I've heard that story. I don't know if you have either about um, Scream, about where Michael laid down the vocals, Janet then laid down vocals, and then Michael felt intimidated by her vocals. So he then done a retake on his vocals. Just wondering if that sort of played the same timeline with this, you know? Very possible. Very possible indeed. Similar also to um, when he found out that Jermaine was working with Babyface and someone else, and then he nicked them, nicked Jermaine's producers. So back to Paris Jackson again, and uh, as we briefly mentioned earlier, it has just been uh, announced in the last couple of days that she is to present an award at the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation Awards. Uh, Paris is set to present the award for Outstanding Comedy Series uh, at the Beverly Hills Hilton in Los Angeles. What do we think about this, Greg? I think it's good that she's trying to get out there and trying to, you know promote equality and and stand up for different things. I think it's good. We're seeing a, a, an emerging political side to Paris, I think. It's, uh, it's interesting that she would choose to present at this awards ceremony. It seems like a statement. And um, yeah. it sort of uh, tallies with her activities um, supporting the pipeline protest as well. Yeah, so I saw that. Yeah. what do we th- do we think that this is um wise given the, the history of what happens to the jackson family when they start making political assertions um are we worried or what do we think about this look i think it's a very different time um to when you know i i don't think that paris is seen as big a threat to the establishment as michael jackson was when he was being political. Um, so I, I don't really think that there's going to be any major negative repercussions around this. I think the Jackson family do have uh, their work cut out for them in terms of complex situations they have to deal with, especially to do with their estate and who controls their estate. I don't think they have to worry too much about media backlash around this, especially for Paris. Paris has always been a very, very um, you know left-wing individual uh, on social media, I think that the world's sort of come to expect that of her because that's who she is, um, and I don't think she's got too much to worry about. I don't think she's got much to worry about either, really. I think it's it's definitely a statement of some sort, but I think it's something that she's obviously going to enjoy doing as well. So good luck, Paris. And in other news, mad-haired pop twat The Weeknd has released a new Jacksons-inspired video for his song I Feel It Coming featuring Daft Punk. Has anybody witnessed this monstrosity and what are your views? What do I think? Uh, I'm quite... (laughs) Yeah, I watched it a few weeks ago on release when it came out on YouTube, the video. I enjoyed it. I did actually enjoy it. I, I know you have differing opinions but, uh, yeah, I think it's a good homage. I think it's quite creative as well. Quite catchy. 
What do you think, Charles? I think he is a cretin and he should go away. <laughs> Jamin, what do you think? Oh, my God. I love it. It's my favorite song of the year. Like, it truly is. I think it's a fantastic song, and I think you're an old granddad who needs to crawl back in his hole and sip his tea and eat his digestive biscuits. <laughs> I thought that um, Tea Toe's new song was your favorite song of the year. You think what? What are you, You're just trying to irritate me now, aren't you? <laughs> it transcends generations. It transcends nothing. <laughs> He should go away. He should stop trying to sing because he can't sing. He should stop trying to dance because he can't dance. And he should go and get a proper job and stop being an idiot. Charles, I have a question for you. You don't feel it coming? Not at all? Uh, uh, No, I feel uh, my lunch coming back up when I hear The weekend doing his shitty, whining, shitty Michael Jackson fake wannabe impersonation bullshit routine constantly well, coming off my radio and well i hope that lunch he's an embarrassment expensive. and um and he should go away well that's all we have from charles thompson today <laughs> in fine form <laughs> i think i think we need to deconstruct this i'm sorry charles we've got to go i, I want to dive in a little bit deeper here what is it about okay. the weekend that you don't like because i know you don't like the weekend you make it very clear yeah. All the time. Okay, so what, what, what about The weekend? don't I like? So, number one, his voice, which is shit. Number two, his songs, which are shit. Number three, <laughs> his dancing, which is shit. Um, number four, the fact that he is just a really, really, really cheap, subpar Michael Jackson impersonator. And number five, the fact that despite being so utterly shit... I can't escape his music anywhere <laughs> I go. Everywhere I go, it's on car radios, it's on my house radio, it's on TV. You go to the shopping centre, they're playing it in the shopping centre, and I wish he would go away. He's not good. He should stop trying to do music because he can't do it any shit, and, um, and he should go away and give up. Look, I agree with you about the dancing. I'll give you that. He's not a good dancer. And you can see him doing singing, Michael Jackson moves. No, I disagree with you there. I think he's a good singer. He can't sing singer. live. He's a terrible singer. He's, you know, maybe once, maybe when he's been in the studio and they've put his voice through the old um, breaking news filter. All the news today, they say we're crazy. But <laughs> the PBC. When, um, <laughs> but when you see him, um, <laughs> when you see him singing live on TV, he sounds appalling, and um, and he's also like so arrogant as well. Like he's got a really big ego for somebody with no talent, and I don't like that either. So well, I've never seen an interview with him, so I couldn't comment on that. But I think is you know isn't what matters the 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 music and how it reaches people and and how people feel about it. I love it. You know, doesn't that count for something? No. Um, Jamin, you need uh, to reassess. Well, I think, I and also, think pe- people are um, people keep like, oh, he's the new Michael Jackson, and no, that I wouldn't go that far. That's just ridiculous. Sickens me. That shit I mean, me he's up. he is a a shit Michael Jackson impersonator. He's he's shitter than Justin Timberlake, and that's saying something. And um, 
he 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 is um, of no value and he should go away. Is there anyone, any pop artist in the last 20 years that you respect? Bruno Mars. Okay. Um, Bruno Mars is a genuinely good singer, a genuinely good dancer, a genuinely good musician, humble and uh, all round very talented and conducts himself in a, a very good way. And, and uh, he doesn't just emulate Michael Jackson. He emulates Prince. He emulates Little Richard, Chuck Berry, James Brown. He's sort of steeped in uh, musical history and he borrows from everyone and, and is a bit like a magpie and brings it all together and, and does his own thing. Whereas with The weekend, everything he does to me just sounds like an attempt to emulate Michael Jackson, which doesn't really work. Uh, I mean, I've seen him perform live on TV several times and he always just seems to me to be doing a really, really piss weak Michael Jackson tribute act. And I, I just can't bear when people do that. I find it embarrassing and um, uh, I just struggle to, to watch it. So, Charles, you're in a dark room. Somebody's got a gun to your head. There's a stereo in front of you with three CDs. One of them's a Weekend album. One of them's a Black Eyed Peas album. And one of them's a Madonna album. Which one do you listen to? Wow. <laughs> my idea of hell I mean at least you didn't suggest the Timberlake I suppose but I mean Madonna is um, Satan so it wouldn't be Madonna um, what were the other two Black Eyed Peas They're, okay and the Black, Black Eyed, Eyed Peas. Peas one is not one of the original it's it's not one of their ones it's not Ellie Funk or before it's one of it's one of the it's, shit ones it's one it's, of the yeah it's one of the new yeah. ones it would be Black Eyed Peas because as much as I think they're a sack of shit and I've seen, I've actually been <laughs> in the room and seen them perform live and they were shit and they didn't even know the words to their own song. It was just ludicrous. Oh, really at least, out. at least they sort, sort of have their own thing going on. It's a shit thing, you know, but, but at least it's theirs, is their shit thing. Whereas The weekend is sort of, it, to me, the weekend is like Jason Malachi. I actually would put the weekend in the same bracket as Jason Malachi. Just a <laughs> shitty, really, really talentless Michael Jackson impersonator who is nothing more than a, a talentless, shitty Michael Jackson impersonator. I don't like it how the weekend doesn't have an E in the weekend. That annoys me. Well, it's just it's just indicative of his general shitness, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, he oh, the vocals on this particular song as well. I feel it coming. He is so trying to be Michael Jackson. It's just embarrassing. It's toe curling. It's a outright, blatant attempt to copy Michael Jackson. It's a tribute act, the, and it's not a good tribute act. I think that's the the purpose of the song, though, right? It's it's a, it's no. a very heavily influenced. I think the song track. came before the video. I think, um, yeah. Uh, plus, it, I mean, he does this all the time. So, what, what was that fucking stupid song that he had um, about a year or two ago? Starboy. No, 
No, it wasn't that. It was um, I Can't Feel My Face. Yeah, I like that song. Stupid yeah. fucking piece of shit. Anyway, he did that song on BBC. He came to the England and performed it live to, for our sins. And um, again, it was on the Graham Norton chat show, and it was such an embarrassing attempt to copy Michael Jackson in terms of vocal and in terms of dance moves. It was like humiliating. I just I was watching it thinking, who is this guy? It was the first time I'd ever heard of him. And um, it was atrocious. And every time I see him on TV, he just seems to be, to be doing a really, really embarrassing, shameless attempt to copy Michael Jackson. So, Greg, what um, sort of throwbacks to Michael Jackson did you see in the music video? Uh... Mainly the cinematography, the, uh, the the ad-libs, just the style of singing, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminded me a lot of Can You Feel It? Yeah. it def- Yeah, it definitely had that feel. I mean, it had the, the old retro VHS type filter over the top as well. Uh, so it wasn't very clear. It was quite grainy. It, just, it was very reminiscent of, of those old videos, but definitely can you feel it? That empty sci-fi sort of world, it reminded me of that from Can You Feel It? And also there was a couple of other little nods in there I thought as well. Like there was a part in it where like a he or somebody else um, turns like come, like turns to gold, I think, or like is gold and then becomes like a human. And that reminded me of um, I Remember the Time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one other thing that I can't exactly remember right now, which what it was, but yeah, there's another throwback to Michael in there. Real subtle, but um, I thought it was really good. And I like the song. Sorry, Charles. Um, but mainly I like it for the, I actually, do you know why I like it? It's not really because of the vocal anyway. I like it because of the, I like Daft Punk. I love their music and um, the yeah. feel that, that it has is really good. It reminds me of um, Get Lucky, you know, with Pharrell and it's just a great uplifting yeah. sounding Cool song, I think. But, um, you know, on the note of um, him doing Michael Jackson music or impersonations or whatever you want to call it, you guys know he does actually have a cover of Dirty Diana, hey? Like a studio-released um, album I, version of Dirty Diana. Yeah, yeah. It came out on his... Before he brought an album out, he had these three EPs that came out that were really big in the, I guess, like, sort of indie music sort of scene. And... Um, one of the one of the songs on those albums is uh on those EPs is a cover of Dirty Diana, so uh, I'll put it in the show notes and let us know what you think of it on on social media. Okay, Shana Mangatal is releasing rare videos of Michael Jackson on her YouTube channel, including videos of Michael with Ryan White, Michael on the Badwell tour, and on the self in the closet. What do you guys think? Well, I got basically. Um, <laughs> Someone threw some pretty serious shade at me yesterday on Twitter for sharing that video. They were like, oh, you know, how can you... They were really surprised that I would share a video from this lady. And look, yeah, I mean, it's coming from a source that there's a lot of controversy around. This is the lady that's written a book on Michael Jackson saying that she had this intimate sexual relationship with him and she's come out so many years later now trying to talk about all these time she spent with him and everything. I don't really know the details. I haven't read the book. I don't know anything about her really aside from that. Um, I know that there's a lot of people critical of her in the fan community. 
um, saying that she's trying to capitalize on a relationship that may not have even been as serious as she's saying it is. But nevertheless, she has somehow got all these videos. I don't know whether she filmed them or somebody's giving them to her as a platform to release them. But she has released so far at least three videos of really, really rare, never before seen Michael Jackson footage. One of them, like you said, is uh, the first one that took my attention was, um, you know, like uh, footage of Michael filming in the closet, the video, which is pretty cool to watch. Um, then there's footage of Michael coming on and off stage from the Badwell tour. And most recently, and I haven't watched this one in full, I will admit, but I know, Charles, you've watched it and you've got some thoughts about it. Michael sitting with Ryan White, the young young lad who passed away from, um, uh, from AIDS. Uh, and Michael obviously was very close to him in the late 80s and early 90s. And they did, uh, they did film some stuff together. Michael dedicated his, his video, Gone Too Soon, to, to Ryan White, actually. And uh, they were quite involved together. And uh, I believe Michael dedicated his, his uh, beautifully sung live rendition of Gone Too Soon to Ryan White uh, at uh, President Clinton's inauguration. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, footage has come out of Michael and Ryan sitting together talking and it's almost as if Michael's actually interviewing Ryan and just asking him lots of questions about his life um, it's really hard to watch more I found it hard I only watched actually about a minute of it because I had to had to go somewhere really quickly but um, I actually found it hard to watch because of you know um, Ryan not being able to speak properly um, due to his condition um, Charles you you saw saw it and had a similar feeling I think yeah, it's um, it's kind of a strange, stilted conversation that they're having, perhaps because they know they're being filmed. But really, it's just Michael sort of asking Ryan lots of questions. And as you say, Ryan is is unwell, obviously, and he's really. It sounds like he's really struggling to speak. He makes a comment at some point about. Uh, because of because he has AIDS, he has to take this medication to ward off a, a strain of pneumonia, which is constantly sort of threatening to consume him. And um, it's just really sad. It's just a really sad video. It seems to have been shot for inclusion in some kind of documentary because um, at a certain point in the interview, uh, Michael says, uh, wasn't there a video you wanted to show me? And, and, and it's uh, Ryan White is showing Michael all these news clippings of himself, all these like, appearances he's made on TV. And um, and then it just comes up with a black screen with, with white text on it that says, insert news clips. So clearly at some point there was a plan to edit this for broadcast uh, where the news clips were going to be edited into the interview, and then it cuts back, and Michael and Ryan are discussing what they've just watched. So I don't know what the plan was. I don't know whether it was maybe going to be included on the dangerous short films thing, the uh, beginning of Gone Too Soon, because there's obviously an extended um, segment on Ryan White on the official dangerous short films DVD release, which does include lots of news clips of, of Ryan White. So it would be interesting to know what this was actually being filmed for and in what context it was supposed to be viewed and also why it never came out 
but yeah, I mean, in terms of the conversation that they have, it's it's actually quite stilted. But you know, so that's just normal for two people that know that there's a camera trained on them. I've seen the bad footage also, which is just really boring. It's just about 25 minutes of Michael walking in and out of doors. And, um, but I've not seen the in the closet footage, so I have to go and watch that when we finish recording. Greg, have you seen any of the videos? I've only seen the in the closet one. And um, what I've sort of skipped through it because I didn't have a lot of time to view it at the time. But, um, one thing that struck me as, not strange, but I wasn't expecting to see it. Was uh, Michael was sort of sniffing uh, Naomi Campbell's hair quite a lot in the video. You know, <laughs> he, he had a thing for caressing her hair and and just joking around and goofing around and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a few comments around them that as well. But um, he seemed to have that little thing going on. He's a he's a hair guy. Yeah, looks that way. Maybe it smelled really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what do you guys think about the source, though, that this is coming from? Because I'm of the opinion that, and this is something I sort of really want to make clear to the audience here, is I'm I'm more interested in the information and the and the uh, the content rather than the source. Um, I I feel like no matter where information comes from, if it's useful historically to learning about Michael Jackson, it should be shared. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I completely agree with, um, you know, things being shared regardless of, of the source. As long as it's done, uh, you know, tastefully and, and the content is tasteful, then, yeah, why not? It's, it's it's a really great thing to see and it's something that Michael personally didn't release a lot of during his lifetime, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff. Not, not a great deal, but he sh- definitely should have done it more because being the perfectionist that he was it shows the audience being us that side of it and who can disagree that it wouldn't be a great thing that we're going to see michael's side of being the creator you know that's that's always great to see Hmm. i mean i would say the source is irrelevant in this case because what they're releasing is primary information. So what we're seeing is contemporaneous video footage of Michael Jackson. Now, if a a dubious source was to tell you about a meeting between Michael and Ryan White, then it could not be relied upon. But because they're just releasing the footage of the meeting, I don't think the source is important. I don't really have any strong opinion on the credibility of this source. I mean, I know that people that were close to Michael, particularly Karen Fay, have come out and criticised Shana Mangatal and said that her story is untrue, etc. But really, I, I don't know how we can ever know whether it's true or not. Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, and uh, our last our last news topic that we're going to talk about today is all around a Michael Jackson episode of How It Really Happened, which is a TV show that airs in America on HLN. 
It's a show that covers controversial, uh, famous situations, uh, namely when people have actually died, including Michael Jackson. And there is a Prince episode as well. Um, but this episode came out recently. It covers all um, the lead up to uh, Michael's death and how it actually happened in the aftermath of his death as well. Thanks to at Dazzle367, who sent me a link on Twitter to actually watch it. I, there was no way I was able to watch it because I'm in Australia. So thank you for sending me that that um, web link so I could see it. Um, look, I I was excited about this show before it actually aired because... You know, being a historian, I love learning about, you know, situations in history in depth. And uh, Michael's passing away, even though it's very sad to, to, to learn about, is, is a uh, critical, important moment in world history. Um, so, I, you know, I was, I was excited to watch the show for that reason, to see if there was any facts that we were going to learn that we didn't actually know. I watched The Prince one which came out about two weeks before, a little bit more. And I was really impressed by that, that episode, because they spoke a lot to people who knew Prince during his life and seemed to cover the, um, you know, his, his death quite well, I felt. Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm not as knowledgeable about Prince's life or death as somebody like Charles, for example. So I, I, I thought it was really good, but maybe that's just me saying it from the outside. The Michael one, I was not that impressed by it um i felt like uh, there was nothing communicated in it that we didn't really already know and i had some other issues with it as well did you guys did you guys get a chance to see the hln episode of how it really happened uh, to do with michael jackson i did not see it i had a strong feeling it would be crap because of the choice of participants you know when a TV station is going to Ian Halperin for expert information on Michael Jackson. You know that this is not a class act. This is not going to be a high-quality product at the end of it. Ian Halperin, of course, is um, the author of Unmasked, which is a terrible, stupid book about Michael Jackson's final years um he came to prominence in the world of michael jackson when he predicted that michael jackson would die of a fatal lung disease and then when michael did die of an, a drug overdose inflicted by another he died as a result he was it was a homicide uh, a manslaughter ian halperin came out and was like I predicted Michael Jackson would die, and it's like, well, yes, of a fatal lung disease, you turd. Anyway, so he became famous off Michael Jackson's back with this stupid book. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The book is riddled with factual inaccuracies and plain fabrications. Uh, for instance, he claimed to have obtained a copy of Michael's contract for the O2 concerts, and said that he was only going to perform like 17 minutes a night and the rest was going to be body doubles, all turned out to be crud. Anyway, and then who else do they get on the show but Diane Diamond, of course, who has built her entire career on um, negative, biased, and often inaccurate and fabricated reporting on Michael Jackson. So... There was no way I was ever going to bother watching this show because it would probably just have given me an aneurysm. I don't know, Greg, did you see it? 
Yeah, I watched it. Um, I did make it through to the end of the uh, Michael Jackson show, but I, I share the same thoughts as you, as you guys. It was just riddled with the, the same people, the same the same people you expect to see when it's going to be a bad, negative, biopic of sorts, or you know, slandered show on Michael. Yeah. That's all I have to say on the, the Michael one, but the Prince one was really good. I enjoyed that. And even though I'm a Prince fan and have been for a few years, I wouldn't say I'm on the same caliber of fan, not as much as Michael, basically. So it was good to learn some some different things, some new names, see some different videos of Prince. It was, it was well produced and you had some good people in it, but... As far as the Michael one goes, yeah, no, it wasn't great. I wouldn't watch it again. It was tabloidy, very tabloidy. Yeah, that's what pissed me off about it was so badly was the Prince one was actually positioning him as this incredibly amazing artist that was, you know, his his life ended too soon and, you know, and that, that, that was certainly the case. And it was, but my point is, is the same with Michael, you know, like it was the same thing with Michael. But instead of them uh, coming in from the angle of, you know, Michael being this incredibly talented artist who um, tragically passed away due to, you know, basically being killed. They didn't go from that angle at all, you know. And this is the problem I had with it was that they didn't really put any responsibility on AEG. They focused mainly on Michael and the doctor and didn't talk about AEG's neglect of their own responsibility to look after Michael during the rehearsal processes that they were you know, um, putting on. And uh, that really annoyed me that they, you know, that AEG sort of got out of any responsibility on this show. Um, that frustrated me because I actually think they are critically responsible for his death. Yeah. yeah I think I yeah, the, they are responsible in my opinion, but the problem with that is that the court case, the civil court case did not conclude that AEG was responsible. So the producers of the show may have found themselves on uh, legally precarious ground if they had insinuated that AEG had been to blame in any way. Now, what they could have done is told the story without insinuating that AEG was to blame. They could have simply included all the emails uh, where they're calling Michael Jackson a freak and they're talking about tricking him into working more hours without realizing it and they're talking about tricking him into thinking he's going to earn more money than he is and they're talking about slapping him and screaming at him and uh, tough love pulling the plug etc they could have included all that stuff but not said that AG was to blame yeah which is the smarter way to make a documentary anyway yeah, exactly. So it just it just shows a lack of research, a lack of knowledge on the subject, or a lack of interest in doing the yeah. job properly. Yeah. You know, if you're going to if you have an intent to make a serious documentary and an accurate documentary about Michael Jackson, you don't go to Diane Diamond and Ian Halperin. You know, so that's right. Um, exactly, it, the intent is clear, 
immediately when you see who they've roped in. And it was the same yeah. with, they just had a week ago in the UK, they had a Michael Jackson night on Channel 5, and they showed that documentary, Michael Jackson, Rich and Acquitted, although they changed the title in the UK. They called it Michael Jackson on Trial, but it, it was the same show. And again, you know, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out in advance when you're reading the blurb to figure out that this is not going to be a good show. Um, no. It's interesting to hear that you both enjoyed the Prince show because I've not seen it, so I'm going to go and look it up. But um, I think you'll like it because um, the the thing about the Prince show was I watched that after you know going back and listening to the Prince roundtable that we did for the MJ cast, and uh, a lot of the names mentioned in that, like I remember Casey talking about people that were in Prince's life earlier in his career that worked with him. Um, who's the guy that was sort of like was a musician with him and they used to play in his basement or something? Um, uh, would it have been Andre Simone? Yeah, he's in there. So there's there's like a lot of people from Prince's actual career that he worked with who were in the show being interviewed, like collaborators, proper, proper collaborators. And I think even his sister's in the show as well, people who knew him. So I, I, I felt like it was much more close to Prince and therefore factually quite accurate. But is the show all about his death? Because that's kind of the, that's kind of what they do with um, Michael a lot is they'll make a show about a certain period in his life and then they'll interview. No, No, the show is about, and and this is what they did with the Michael one as well. They actually spent probably the first 15 minutes of the show focusing on his early career, which was, I don't know. I thought it was weird. They went way back to like the Jackson 5 and I thought they sort of should have focused a little bit more on his later career. But the Prince one's totally different. The Prince one, they actually focus all on the last year or whatever of his performances and his last gigs, you know, the piano and microphone tour. And they talk a lot about that and then how it all fell apart. So, no, to answer your question, they don't just focus on his death, although that's the point of the show and that's what it gets to for the last half of it is about the death. But um, it's about Mm. the context as well. That's why I I had such high hopes for the Michael episode after watching the Prince one. Uh, It was terrible. I did want to say, though, that there is one good thing about the show. Like, if you can stomach watching it with all these crappy talking heads and horrible information, there is an absolute ton of high-definition press footage of Michael Jackson in the show. Like, uh, there's no live footage from memory, but there's heaps and heaps of, um, you know, uh, footage taken from the press at different press conferences and on the street, you know, coming to places, you know, going from places. Really great footage of Michael Jackson that you can see if you want to watch it for that. Yeah, there's there's also one when he's at court or leaving court and he jumps on top of the car. Yeah. On top of the um, SUV. Yeah. Yeah. At the arraignment during it's the criminal trial. I've, I've never seen the uh, footage from his criminal trial shown in such high quality. So it's, it's good I just either. even if you just mute it and you don't want to listen to all the crap, it's fun to watch just for that footage. <laughs> yeah. We should edit a new uh, version of the show, right? And just mute the, mute the audio, cut the talking heads, the, the horrible people out and just have Michael. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great for people. It's great for fans who put together fan documentaries. I mean, I know it's probably 
not the most legal thing to do to do that and upload it to YouTube. But anybody out there wanting to make a documentary on Michael using their own talents, there is a wealth of um, HD footage out there now from these documentaries that you can use. Yeah, yeah, that's very good.
Hey, this is Taj Jackson of 3T, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. That was a remix of 3T's first single, Anything Cool Out Urban Remix. Hope you enjoyed that song. Well, that's the news for this episode of the MJ Cast. Uh, we'll now move into our main discussion topic. And one thing we love doing on the MJ Cast when we have when we have guests on is delving into their own fan story and learning about them becoming fans of Michael Jackson, what they love about Michael, and uh, also what they've done with their own lives um, around Michael Jackson. So we've got Greg here, um, Greg Spinks, prominent member of the Michael Jackson fan community, somebody that. Uh, provided a space when Michael was alive for fans to come together online and talk about Michael Jackson and be kept up to date with the latest news. It was, in my opinion, the greatest Michael Jackson forum that was ever around. Uh, It was called Maximum Jackson. I'm so glad that Greg can be here with us and and we're going to talk all about your early time as a fan, Greg, and and learn your story. So, Greg, what, what inspired you to become a fan of Michael Jackson? Do you remember the moment that you became a fan? I, I do have a few sketchy memories, one of which uh, I was at school. I, I came into the, the whole fan scene probably quite late. You'd probably be quite surprised at how late it was. I remember being at school, my secondary school. It was probably in the year 2000, maybe even 99, but I think it was 2000. And um, they had some sort of stage show in our assembly where uh, some some guy was filming a song and they, they introduced him out as Michael Jackson and he, he was all dressed up and stuff. And um, he actually performs the the black or white video version. So they, they had the sound of the video version with the, the Macaulay Culkin part at, at the beginning and the Are You Nuts, Turn the Speaker Up, Guitar Riff, etc., etc. And he did this whole set of michael like this this mega mix i think that was the first time that i was like wow that music like they had these huge speakers i was like wow that music's just what wow what what was that just i was just wow absolutely in awe of of not so much the performance you know it it was your standard school performance but um the music itself i was just captivated and from that moment onwards, I remember just going into the whole Michael Jackson scene. Just, you know, you, I'm sure you remember, you, both of you guys remember the, the, the discovery phase of just how amazing it is. And, you know, you, we still very rarely have those moments now. But like I said, very rarely, you know. How old were you, Greg, when this happened? I would have been... Maybe I'm not very good at maths on on the on the on the go, but maybe thirteen. Maybe, oh, so this was maybe, second secondary school. Yeah, this was secondary. Yeah, this this was at, um the the secondary school I went to. So uh, was this a student performing? Or was it like a, somebody who'd come in? Yeah. It was a student. Um, one that we both know actually, or knew, should I say? How did that go down? Because you would have been 13, so I, I would have been yeah. 12-ish. So this would have been, what, about the year 2000, something like that? Yeah, yeah I think it was yeah. year 2000. So that was not the coolest time to be a Michael Jackson fan. So how did that go down? 
<laughs> from memory, you know, I'm going back quite a few years now because I'm, I'm not so youthful anymore. But um, from memory, it went down very well. And, and like I said, the, the speakers that they had there from memory, I just remember it being very, very loud and very bassy. And I loved it, you know. That music, black or white, and I think they he did a few of the usual hits, like black or white, beat it or something like that. But black or white was, was the song that I first heard from memory, of course, that I remember being like, wow, that's that's Michael Jackson. Wow, what? Who, who is what? <laughs> you know, just being completely in awe. And it was crazy. So after that time, when you first had your, you know, your first experience listening to Michael's music, what happened? Did you go and buy all his records in one hit or was it a slow progression learning about his music? Or It, it was a slow progression because, believe it or not, even though around that time after starting to delve into the Michael world, uh, Invincible was obviously being released in the UK or everywhere. My first album was History uh, Greatest Hits that uh, my mother bought for me in um, Virgin Megastores that we used to have here. That was my first album. And then after that, that was when I discovered different things, discovered the Invincible album, discovered the back catalogue in, in full. Yeah, and that's that's interesting because that's exactly the same as me, except I became a fan just as the Invincible era was happening, just as it had started. But my first album that I bought was History as well. And we've got to remember yeah. at that time, that was the only Michael Jackson greatest hits CD available on his solo career. Number ones hadn't come out yet. So that was really the go-to album for new fans to get. So you yeah. could hear Michael's older yeah. material without buying all of his other albums. And I, I do actually remember specifically that um, on the back cover or the insert sleeve for the, the greatest hits, you had Michael's original or old uh, domain name, which was mjjnet or mjj.net.com or something like that. And that was the first time that I saw Michael's website. And yeah. I think I remember just the, the, the previous design of uh, the website before Invincible hit and it was like the Blood on a Dance Floor themed website. I don't know if you guys remember that at all. But, um, I don't, but I do remember the Invincible one. I remember logging into his website when it was Invincible themed and it was so cool. It was using like yeah. at that time crazy technology. It was all flash animated and it was all digital yeah. and yeah. I remember it, it zooming in on Michael's eye like that was slowly animating into this digital form and Unbreakable was playing, which I found really interesting yeah. because You Rock My World was the first single, but they actually had Unbreakable playing on the website. Well, Michael yeah. wanted Unbreakable to be the first single, but Sony overruled him, which was sort of the beginning of the, the massive friction throughout that whole promotional campaign. What they did was they leaked it. They leaked You Rock My World to radio uh, so that he had to release it as the first single, basically forcing him to go along with what they wanted him to do. And he was furious about it. But he was he was speaking at the time about wanting to do a video for Unbreakable with brand new liquid dance moves, is um, yeah. the way it was described. 
it's uh, it's a shame that that never came to pass. That uh, I mean, you know, assuming he would have been capable of doing it the way he he would have wanted to. But um, I think Mel yeah. Gibson was supposed to be in the video. Does anyone remember I re- that? I read that as well. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember that. <laughs> I read rumors about that. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked. I don't think he he might have been playing some kind of comedic partner or something like kind of like chris tucker does in you rock my world who knows i can't imagine he would have been dancing with michael or anything like that but (laughs) isn't that era around the same time that uh michael became friends with brett ratner as well because i think i read something that he was going to produce or do something with this proposed unbreakable video as well I, I have read that as well, and and it wouldn't surprise me because during that era, like 2001 to 2003, there are a lot of crossover scenarios between Michael Jackson, Brett Ratner, Chris Tucker. Like, there are so many references to Michael Jackson in Rush Hour 2. Well, 1 and 2, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. then Rush Hour, and the, the, vid- the video for You Rock My World really reminds me a lot of Rush Hour 2, just the way it feels and Chris and Michael's interactions and... I just, I think, I actually suspect that I I have no evidence for this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Brett Ratner was originally in talks or something to direct You Rock My World. Yeah, Um, I reckon so as well. There's just so many similarities between it and Rush Hour 2. I wonder how the video would have turned out had Brett been able to film it because he's an incredible director. Did he do Red Dragon? Yeah. Am I thinking... Right, and there's a bonus feature on the DVD where Michael shows up one day at the set of um, Red Dragon, and then there's this sort of embarrassing bit at the end where Michael's um, leaves and Brett Ratner sort of chases his car down the street, going, "Please call me." (laughs) There's a funny moment in it where Michael is on the set watching Anthony Hopkins' performance. And then Anthony Hopkins says something. He breaks character halfway through performing Hannibal yeah. Lecter and starts talking about Michael Jackson. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, yeah, but it, there's a lot of crossovers there, and I wonder what it would have been like because You Rock My World had the potential to be a really great video, but ended up being not so much of a great video. Well, yeah. it ended up being like somebody forgot to edit the script or something, or somebody cut something out. There's that whole weird bit at the end where... Marlon Brando comes down the stairs and Michael goes, I know who you are. And you're going, well, who the fuck is he? You know, what what's going on? There's no plot here. It was like something yeah. had been cut out of the script. There's just heaps of things in there that make no sense. Like Marlon Brando just walks down and says, for whatever reason, big bang. Like what the hell does yeah. that mean? Yeah. It's totally out of context. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's so many things in it that are really, really quite amateur and dodgy. And there's a great, great uh, review of You Rock My World actually that points out every single little thing that's wrong with the video that's uh, <laughs> funny but pretty depressing wow. you'll have to link Cons- that you'll I'll link, link it to you it, it is they just totally okay. rip it to shreds but it's it's what's weird about it is that we're talking about the Michael Jackson of that just came off the back of the history era who you know and I, I think the videos for the history era are absolutely outstanding like incredible in so many different ways and it was just a giant drop in um, quality for videos. And um, yeah. 
I've never really understood how or why he went from doing the amazing work in the history era to rock my world. Well, I think there's a number of factors. I think number one, Michael was not the same Michael that had been working in the history era. He'd obviously had the bridge collapse in 99 at the MJ and Friends concert and had ended up back on painkillers and was not really making good decisions. One of those decisions that he made, which was not good, uh, involved plastic surgery, and he no longer looked like the Michael Jackson of the history era. He, his face was not really functional. Um, he couldn't move his mouth properly. His eyes were sort of hanging open, and um, he looked very, very bad in that video for You Rock My World. On top of that, he's now involved in a dispute with Sony um, and he wants Unbreakable to be the first single and video and then they force him to do You Rock My World and um, he was unhappy about it and supposedly showed up on set for the bare minimum time and then just buggered off again and said, right, you've got, you've got some footage of me, you're going to have to cobble it together. Um, and then when they wouldn't let him release Unbreakable as the second single, and they made him release Cry instead, he just point-blank refused to be in the video. Um, so there were various factors. And at the same time, of course, you have Sony claiming that it spent this extortionate amount of money on promo and that it's not seeing the return that it needs. And so they wouldn't pump the kind of money that Michael was asking for into the making of the videos. Um, so it was really like a perfect storm, all of these different uh, problems which collided into one another right at the beginning of the promotional campaign for Invincible. Um, okay, well, this is going to sound kind of kooky, but I'll ask you both a question. Did you ever, as kids, watch the chipmunks like alvin and the chipmunks the tv show yeah alvin and simon and theodore yeah right did you Jim? yeah yeah i did i did i don't know if you guys remember but do you remember there being certain skits of i think was alvin um performing billy jean or doing different things related to michael jackson do you remember no or have you ever seen those clips um there was a performance that they 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 met michael jackson or something and they um i think it was alvin performed billy jean and it was like um it was it was like the cartoon was overlaid over the original uh stage footage of michael at the uh motown 2025 uh show and um, I'm pretty sure this was the initial conception. This was when I was very young. Like, I'm going back to when I was probably seven or eight years old. And this was long before I actually discovered Michael at what I was talking about earlier. But um, I believe this was the initial conception of me becoming a fan. And as stupid as that may sound, I still remember that as a kid. And I remember watching it and I remember being obsessed with watching it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the tape that I had, 
And I, I remember just, I remember Billy Jean over and over again. And after that, I seemed to either forget or move on to different things being a child. But that's just one thing, one little thing I wanted to say, because I'll, I'll link you, you guys to yes, watch please. the clip. We'll put it in the show notes. There's a few. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a few. I think there's Be It and Billie Jean and a, a few other things. But that was something that I'll always remember as one of my fan origin stories that yeah. I absolutely loved because I was addicted to that show when I was a kid. I was addicted to it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely some early memories I have as well um, prior to becoming a big fan. I remember Stranger in Moscow um, premiering on like a morning news show the actual music video for it they showed it in australian news uh, in the morning before school i watched it a few little things like that it, i often wonder like it, there are earlier memories of michael that i have prior to watching 30th anniversary why weren't it those instances that made me a massive fan why did it take yeah, waiting till it, that show to make me a huge fan yeah it doesn't make sense does it it's just it's <laughs> odd but uh yeah, speaking of Stranger in Moscow, like that also reminds me of when I was first becoming a fan that I, I purchased the Greatest Hits uh, DVD Volume 2, I think it was, or Volume 1 or both of them. And I remember just laying on the floor in, in my living room just with my dad on the sofa and just watching everything back to back, yeah. front to front, just, just all of it. And my dad must have just... You know, he's not not a fan, but he's not. He's just a casual guy that strangely doesn't listen to music or anything. But, uh, yeah, I, the, what I must have subjected him to, like four <laughs> hours of Michael over and over again on, on these winter evenings, it was crazy. And just those little memories that you remember when, you know, the, the fan inception happened. Yeah, definitely. Inception. But, yeah. So that was all happening and obviously, Greg, you're similar to me in that uh, we, we went through the Invincible period being very excited for the album and new Michael Jackson material and then everything kind of just fell apart and stayed that way for about eight years. So talk to us about that period of leading out of Invincible and, and your fandom during that time. Um, during that time, I remember... Um just the, the discovery period of finding demos and finding the entire back catalog, going through the Jacksons as well. I think it was to a new fan. It's, it's quite vast. There's there's a huge amount of songs, huge amount of footage. I mean, this was before YouTube as well, really. So it was all the MySpace era, where you 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 could listen to different things and hear certain demos of certain things. And then that's when I sort of, as the internet progressed in ways, you know, I was always on the Michael Jackson website, um, constantly refreshing every day to try and find new news and different things. And then I remember joining up to MJJF. Yeah, MJJF. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah was that's like right. Completely, you know, I don't, I don't know if, the same as you but back in those days i was just one was under the premise that i was the only michael fan in my area i, I had no idea what other fans are around and joining this joining a forum that had 
all of these people, thousands of people that shared the same interests as you and could discuss interests that you have as well. It's just crazy. Mm. Just such a different world. Such a different world. MJJF was particularly a great forum. Like I'd tried out a few different forums, but that one I absolutely loved, mainly because of as the um, sort of trial all picked up and and Michael had been accused of terrible things and, and we were watching the trial unfold. MJJF was a really great location to to see all of the news around the trial and and look at it from an unbiased, non-tabloid sort of point of view um, with different fans being able to discuss the facts and, and also seeing all the different, you know, images and pictures coming out of Michael arriving at court. It was a, it was a really great place and that's where I sort of fell in love with forums. Um, did you have a similar experience at MJJF? I did. Um, I remember the. Um, I'm going back a few years after, but I remember the the announcement of the Ultimate Collection and the, the 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 images that were released, the press images at the time of what the album was going to look like and what it had on it. And at this point, I considered myself quite a seasoned fan that was quite seasoned in Michael's back catalogue and knew what was in it. And the, the the premise of these certain demos, I was like, I couldn't wait. I was so excited. I don't know about you, but when when that was announced, and I saw the cover, and the in in the UK we had the the big black case, rather than in America they had the white case. I'm not sure about the Australian release if yours was white or black, or if you actually had it there at all. We had uh, the Black Ultimate Collection and uh, I believe the white version came out later, maybe a year or later here or something like that. But um, yeah, the black one was the one on original release. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I remember getting that the, f- the first time and I was so excited. It was such a yeah. nice package. It was, you know, it's great. You open it up and you got the that picture of Michael and the different black discs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. I love that. It was it was an awesome era for that. Um, hearing some unreleased Michael stuff, and man, the first time I heard "We've Had Enough," I'll never forget my reaction physically yeah. to hearing that song. I was like shaking, literally shaking, when I was listening to that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, no, same as me. Yeah, really cool era. It's hard for people, I guess, like us, because we became fans a little bit later, and we didn't get to live through um, "Dangerous" and history where singles were coming out all the time although we were alive then i guess it wasn't for me it wasn't i wasn't keeping my eye and attention on all these new singles coming out but you know we got to experience that a little bit with one more chance like that was a michael jackson single that legitimately came out um as a part of number one yes and uh, i remember that being really excited during that time because that's when that was before the trial and michael mania was was happening like it was number ones was a massive album like hugely successful especially in the uk i I remember it breaking records um for the the amount of copies it was shifting um yeah Yeah. the dvd of all the different um music videos too was massive yeah and you had the different covers as well right on the the yeah you had a different version extremely clever marketing. It was very similar to Invincible where you could get the different versions of the album, five different versions in different colors. Yeah. Um, number one's, yeah. I don't know whether it was put together by the same marketing people from Sony, but it was very, very similar. Different poses on the front of the album covers. And I used to, I remember going into shops and 
getting all the different number ones versions and just putting them everywhere and covering up all different artist sections with the yep. different number ones poses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did the same thing. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? You, you talk about getting the Michael albums and covering up the other artists' CDs, but there were a number of fans who were reporting that when they were getting home from the record store, having bought the number ones, they would look at their receipt and it said something else on the receipt. Wow. And some of the fans thought that the albums had been incorrectly barcoded because, you know, this was around the time that Michael was on TV saying it's a conspiracy that my album's not doing well enough, etc. on the Ed Bradley interview. And I did speak, I remember being on the forums. I wasn't on MJJF. I got banned from MJJF, but I was, um, <laughs> on another forum I got, I got banned for the record because i said michael wore a wig uh which he did anyway i was on a different forum and there were fans posting their receipts saying look i just went to the record store and bought number ones and my receipt says celine dion on it so i remember that happening very distinctly and i've just had a, a thought while you were talking greg about the number ones because obviously we live in the same town I went into the record store, I went into the HMV in the town. They had this huge number ones cutout, cardboard standy type thing of Michael. It's the, it's the album cover where he's standing on his toes. I went in there and said, after all the promos done, can I have that? And they said, no, somebody else has already asked for it. Was it you? Uh, <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> oh my god I'm, I'm, I'm being serious later, it know, might have actually 15 been years later yeah I but think I it... didn't get it I never got it oh if, if that was me then I never got it but I think I remember quite quite often asking for stand-ups and I do remember that particular promo or promos in HMV around that time for that album so it quite possibly was me but I didn't get it regardless so Okay, I'll forgive you then. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, even though Michael, um, you know, during this era was ch- uh, facing some particularly immense challenges with the trial around the the era of the Ultimate Collection coming out, um, he was, you know, before that and after that, traveling a lot to the UK. He always went to the UK. Tell us about times that Michael came to the UK and what it felt like as a fan living near London, knowing that Michael Jackson was just a matter of kilometers away from, from where you lived? Well, my first memory, um, even though I was on the forums quite a lot, I didn't really know a lot of people to talk to. And my basically my first memory of Michael coming to London was in 2005 when he stayed at, um, I think it was a hotel called The Hempel. I might be wrong, and if I am, I'm very sorry. Yeah, I just remember seeing photos, loads and loads of photos of Michael around town and being in London. And I was thinking, right, the next time that Michael comes to London, I'm going to make sure I'm going to be there. You know, I have to be there. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. I have to be in London. I have to see Michael. I have to just do something. You know, and um, I was getting to the point in in my early fandom. And where I was thinking, okay, well, it's not just just the the music and the videos and everything else that I'm interested in. It's now the actual 
the person. I want to, I want to see this guy that's, you know, wrote all of these fantastic songs, sung all these fantastic songs. You know, the, the man who was Thriller, Smooth Criminal, all of it. I, just, I, I was so at this point getting a little bit fanatic. Photos of Michael being in London. I thought the next time he is here, I have to, I have to do something. And um, the next time he was in London after that was for the World Music Awards in 2006. So that's quite far on after the trial and stuff. But um, yeah, it was 2006 was the, the next time after that. That thought I had uh, was the, the next time he was in London. Tell, tell us about, you know, those moments of seeing Michael Jackson, you know, the specific instances and what it was like and the crowd frenzies and all that kind of thing. Well, um, I think we, me and Charles previously spoke about the, the World Music Awards last yeah. year, but um, just going into a bit more depth, my, my first experience when I ran into that arena and I knew that Michael was going to be there, or I was at least hoping he was going to turn up and be there, it was, it was electric. And, and when he first came out, I'm not ashamed to say in the least that I was physically shaking you know, I was shaking, shaking like anything. And uh, I think I actually remember even having a few tears in my eyes because I was just, just all, all for, for four or five years or six years or so, I've been watching these videos of Michael performing live, Michael being Smooth Criminal, Billie Jean, all of it, all of these amazing masterpieces and now before my eyes in front of me at this event was going to be michael like michael the the man the amazing man that we all love this this guy was getting in front of me and when he did come in front of me i was just 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 a mess just an absolute mess and it was crazy and and to feel that feeling again just to have that frenzy and that adrenaline i'll give anything for that i really would hmm and I just want to, um, you know, give props to you guys as well together as, um, you know, putting that World Music Award special together for us last year for the MJ cast was pretty pretty amazing uh, to hear. That's still one of my favorite ever episodes that we've put out. And, I, and I, it's the only episode that I've had literally nothing to do with. Um, so it was awesome to, to listen back to as a, as a fan, a Michael Jackson fan, to hear the recollections of, of that time from the World Music Awards. So thanks very much, guys, for collaborating on that. No, thank you. Yeah. You know, that era was also interesting because there wasn't a lot of Michael material coming out from that time. He was doing a couple of appearances here and there. He was leading up to this big comeback that was going to happen that we were all hearing about, him collaborating with other artists after the trial. He ended up rehearsing to come back and perform in London at the This Is It concerts. But during this whole time, you were doing something behind the scenes that's really quite amazing and a bit of an untold story. You were the founder of Maximum Jackson, a place that was uh, very vibrant. I would say the most vibrant Michael Jackson fan community in the world during that time. Uh, experienced a lot of growth, huge amount of people coming in to talk about Michael online. You also had a guy working there called Damien Shields, who's gone on to become uh, an author 
He's he's got a website, DamienShields.com, put out some amazing, amazing articles on Michael's uh, unreleased music and and performances. And uh, in his earlier times, he was working at Maximum Jackson as well, putting out stories around Michael's comeback. Talk to us about what it was like to be a founder of Maximum Jackson and in particular, a place that was exclusively putting out news around um, Michael's comeback. Wow. Uh, it's a very long story and very an exciting one. But um, I, I remember... I was initially in the early days. Um, do you do you guys remember the forum uh, MJ News Online? Yes, that may be the actual. That might actually be the first forum I joined. I think. Okay, um, where they they had that cool logo at the top right of um, Michael singing Billie Jean or something. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Paul Paul. Uh, I don't recall his surname. Uh, he was a great guy that owned the MJ News Online. And I was a moderator on there for a little while because that was my second forum that I frequented on after MJJF. And um, he announced to us guys before he announced to everyone else that he was going to close MJNO shortly after the World Music Awards, I think it was. I believe it was early 2007. And um, I was thinking to myself, well, I've now got myself into this world where you've got all of these fans, this, this massive circle, you know, you've got Michael that's just done this amazing, amazing, amazing event last year or recently for the world music awards. I, I, I want this to continue. I don't want this to end. And I was thinking, well, I've, I've done my time at MJJF is a good forum, but I want to do something myself, you know, Paul, Paul was such a great guy at creating and doing what he did. And um, he also had a, a front page that um, specialized in news. There was just news on, on Michael rather than just a forum. And some people prefer it either way. You know, some people just want to grab some news quickly. They want to do a front page or some guys want to read in depth and go through forums. But that was definitely the initial conception of me wanting to create a space for other people. And this, this went on for probably about three or four months before the actual creation and, and the, the public creation of Maximum Jackson, as it was called. So you, in that time, you had a desire to bring a community to the Michael Jackson fan world where people could get news and discuss it as well. Yeah, so it's very two tiered, a two tiered place. So you you had your your front page that you went to of the original domain, which was maximum-jackson.com, and then you'd also have your discussion area where you could discuss those particular items, and there would be threads for for each news article, if you will. Yeah, that that was <laughs> released or posted. And so, this is this is a bit of a foreign concept yeah. to a lot of uh, younger fans these days because. That that was what we had at the time. Social media was not a very big, you know, presence whatsoever in the world, and uh, people went to these dedicated websites to talk about Michael Jackson. Um, and it was in, it was great because it was so organised and incredibly concentrated. But fans today, younger fans in particular, know really just Facebook groups and Twitter, and that's yeah. about it. 
I mean, forums are still around, but they're definitely not as popular as they were. I think the the whole industry, in, in a lot of ways, has changed. But the 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 platform for in which people read news now is, as we all know, very very mobile, very digital. It's just completely different. It's it's a completely different world now. And yeah. back then, that concept, I didn't see it in a huge amount of places. A lot of people didn't like the whole front page idea. They just wanted to discuss and chat and you know play games but for those who who like <laughs> myself wanted to read the news and find out what was happening for michael and see some great pictures of you know him shopping in some bookstore with post notes on his face or whatever <laughs> you, you know yeah i had some humor to that but some people just want to do that and then some people want to discuss and you've got those very two different type of fans or different type of people that, that want to separate that or some very different type of fans that want to combine that and do that together. And yeah, I, I like the idea. That's something I learned during that time that I was kind of shocked by because when I, when I first started going onto forums, I was kind of like, well, every other Michael Jackson fan must be like me. They must want to just learn all the latest news and know the latest. Like I was quite happy just to go to the front page for a while and not delve into the forums. But then over time, I started realizing that there's actually a lot of Michael Jackson fans that aren't actually interested in the news. They're more interested in talking about him as a person. And um, I just it just amazed me. I remember being amazed at that time that that dichotomy between the two different kinds of fans. And eventually, I started becoming more involved in the forum and getting to know lots of other great fans and interacting with different people. And that's where I met a lot of the people that I consider to be, you know, close friends today. So I owe a lot to Maximum Jackson and that community aspect. Talk to us about your team. So you weren't able to do this alone, obviously. You had a core group of people that I've gone on to know quite well, interestingly. So talk to us about that team. How did you pull them together? How did you find all these different people? Yeah, so... um on MJ News Online, when I was a moderator there, I, I grew quite close to uh, one of the, the founders that would be a founder on Maxim Jackson uh, was was Chelsea Jones. We don't speak often now, but she's she's still a great great girl. She's um, you know we we struck up a friendship, and I said, "Hey, I've I've got this idea. What do you think? Do you think of do you, you want to join me?" and help run this concept and help help get this thing going and a similar conversation happened with four other people after that so you also had another two moderators on mj news online which was gary uh don't recall his surname crocker gary and yeah gary crocker and also i think dan who you know might have also been a, a moderator on there. Yeah, Dan Vigilovas. Um, yeah. So, and, um, yeah, and, and Marnie, sorry, how can I forget Marnie? Marnie, <laughs> the amazing Marnie. Friend um, of the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, so Marnie, I don't think she was a moderator on there, but um, we struck, also struck up a friendship and it just started all coming together. And um, it was point when Gary actually asked me if he could uh, ask his wife to join, which was Angie Crocker, 
if she could join in on, on this venture, which was going to be Maxim Jackson. And of course, I said, yeah, that's that's cool. She's a fan. Um, you both obviously know each other. You're a husband and wife. You know, let's see how this goes and see what happens. And at this point, we didn't have a name for our forum. And it was or our site. And uh, it was actually Angie who came up with Maxim Jackson, which was obviously abbreviated by a lot of people uh, to be Max Jax. Max Jax. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's what I always called it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it stuck. It's a very good name. So your team sort of came together out of MJNO users. And then I don't know much about this side of the story, but there was also some kind of debacle that went on in an Australian Michael Jackson fan club called Club MJ or something where the person that ran that ended up getting a lot of money out of their users um, to create this community and then never created it or they did create it and then it collapsed or something. I can't remember how it actually went, but I know there was a bit of a migration of um, Club MJ people that came across to Max Jacks, including... Um, Marnie and Damien and different people there. Yeah, I don't actually know about that. It's an interesting part of the story, and that's that that's how there ended up being so many Australian users on there. I wasn't on that forum; I just came to it through knowing Damien, and he said, "Hey, come along to this place; it's really good." But yeah, there's apparently this whole backstory behind another Australian forum that collapsed, and then because Damien and Marnie were really involved in there, they sort of said to everyone, "Come across to Max Jacks." So you'd have to ask them a little bit more about that because I don't know the the fine details of that story. But um, I guess I'm guessing that's how they ended up sort of coming across and and joining you. And Marnie, of course, was she, correct me if I'm wrong, but she was a founder as well of Max Jacks. Yep, she was. Yep, she was. Yep. She was a uh, she was very instrumental in helping write the the, the guidelines and stuff for for keeping yep. it a place of you know order Civility. of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. Which it, which but, was uh, why a lot of people loved Max Jacks because you'd come from other forums where you'd get banned for saying Michael wore a wig and you'd come across to Max Jacks and you could actually have proper mature conversations without it yeah without it turning into to people attacking each other. Yeah, and that, and that was the initial that was the initial concepts that the 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 big rule that I wanted to purvey would was Literally, for it to be a fair place, a fair and open place for people to show their fanship for Michael, their fandom for Michael. And I literally just wanted it to be just purely pure and simple, just that. I didn't want the bullshit. I didn't want anything. I just wanted it to be a happy place, you know, great pictures of Michael, great. I I think I remember saying, I want us to treat this place as if it's a place that Michael may one day see himself and not be unhappy about. That's a great thought. And and talk talk to us about what you were most proud of with Max Jacks. What when was it at its peak? What were you most proud of? When I was at its peak, I was most proud of the the discussions in there's so many things that I am proud of with it, but um, the content of the discussions in Base Note—I don't know if you remember that sub forum. Yeah, I but do. There was a sub forum for Base Note, and it was basically the the main discussion on the creativity and and the 
the background in, in Michael as an artist. And it was just great. that The amount of knowledge that people had when they discussed the backgrounds of songs, you know, the concepts, the it just got very deep. And it was, mm. I loved it. I, I could just live and, and sit in that sub forum all day long. See, and, um, was, that's interesting because at the time, I that was the forum I probably went to least because, and, and although I remember it and did visit it, I didn't go there much because I remember being really focused on new material and like news and yeah. what was coming and new stuff from Michael, whereas now it's a totally different vibe. It's as if, you know, Facebook groups around Michael Jackson are all bass note groups now that just focus on stuff from the past obviously because there's no new stuff coming out yeah but yeah that that is interesting isn't it thinking how at the time you know there wasn't a lot of discussion going on about michael's previous work but where there was it was still deep i don't want to blow my own trumpet either but i i really enjoyed uh creating the different skins and the the artwork for the (laughs) website because yeah that was my initial love for doing what I enjoy doing now, which I love. I love creating websites. I love creating artwork and I love being creative in, in all different forms. But I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if Charlie was even um, around on Max Jacks near the, near the end of the, of the, the site, but um, I created a off the wall skin when off the wall was originally announced as the uh, anniversary 30th anniversary, I think it was. And that was early 2009. Nine, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that, but um, I had great fun in creating that skin. Yeah. I do definitely remember it. I remember being amazed by it. <laughs> yeah, there was actually, um, I was going to be, because that was originally the idea for the anniversary, but... I was actually in the process of making a skin for each and every album that was released, studio album that was released. So yeah. I actually started work on uh, Uninvincible 1, um, Dangerous and Thriller, but uh, yeah. they just never came to fruition.
Who would have mercy on me And she promised me forever That we'd live our life as one We made our vows We live a love so true It seems that she has left me For such reasons unexplained I need to find the truth But see what will I do And it doesn't This is Elizabeth Misu from Michael Jackson's Dream Lives On, an academic conversation, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. That was Michael Jackson's Who Is It? Divine's Remix. So remembering back to 2006, 2007 and 8, I remember that being particularly the most exciting period of being a Michael Jackson fan online because Michael was working in the studio with lots of different producers and engineers all over the world putting together his comeback album. He was working with um, Red One, Will I Am, Michael Prince, Brad Buxar, Neo, um, lots and lots of different people. And it was it was looking to be a very exciting era and great album that was going to come. And of course, Damien Shields, Max Jack's reporter, was there giving us all the latest information on those uh, developments. And then, and then, obviously, in 2009, uh, Michael was preparing for This Is It 
And I remember making a post on Maximum Jackson at the time, actually, that got pretty popular. I put out, I somehow, I still can't remember how I got it, but I somehow became the recipient of video recordings that were captured outside of the Staples Center of Michael performing all, all these songs. And you couldn't see anything, obviously. It was just people standing there with a video camera recording all the audio being crazily excited. Yeah. I remember one guy recording Threatened and then saying, oh, my God, I can hear Threatened, I can hear Threatened. And yeah. um, Will You Be There and Heal the World and, and lots of different songs that didn't even end up coming out on the on the This Is It Blu-ray. But I remember posting a thread on Max Jacks with all of those um, video files that I ended up uploading to YouTube. I don't know how I got them. Somebody just sent them to me and said, upload these. I don't know who it was. And I remember that getting a lot of attention. It was a really exciting time. And then, and then obviously in, in, in June, late June, um, the unfortunate, uh, the horrible happened and Michael passed away. Can you talk to us about how, what it was like being a forum owner, a forum founder during the period of Michael Jackson actually dying? It was the most catastrophic well, one of the most catastrophic moments of my life. And in, in terms of that, you know, I, I remember, and this is a completely different story, but I, I remember being at work and, and being texted by um, this lovely girl called Jen. And she she actually passed away um, in July, like a month after Michael passed away. And she was only young. She was like 27 or been rushed to hospital. There's news everywhere, all over Max Jacks. You know, like you need to get home, Greg. You need to you need to get home now. And I, mm. I remember where I worked at the time. Um, I was around 15 minutes uh, walk, and I luckily I had my bike with me, and um, I, I rode home in like, like five minutes, if if less. God knows how quick I was. But um, jumping straight onto the onto the news and on the forum. The entire forum was just in a complete disarray. Like there wasn't just one thread on on updates on what was happening with Michael. It was like a billion threads, and people were just going absolutely crazy. And it, it was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible to go through that with everyone. Mm. It, it was just awful. And this was before time of. Facebook, really. I don't think even yeah. Facebook was around yeah. then at all. And yeah, it felt very personal, or it was very personal, but it felt very personal to, to be on the forum with everyone else. Yeah. But it also felt very segregated as well because I had my real fan friends in, in person who I knew in person texting me, phoning me, asking how I was, what, what had happened, telling me what had happened when it wasn't confirmed. You know, you, you had all of these these different factions of people that all believed or knew knew something different. And it wasn't, nothing was concrete. Nothing was concrete at all. And it was just, just awful in every aspect of that word. It was awful. Did you feel a lot of responsibility as a forum owner to provide a place or direction for fans that were very vulnerable at that time? I did. I did. And um, I remember 
myself and the founders and the moderators all, all speaking together and at some point during that day or the, the following days after um, and sort of saying like this needs to be the place that we provide comfort and official news or verified news rather than tabloid crap that any and every other place would post just to just to be at the top of Google, you know? And all I wanted and all the team wanted was for us to be that place that people could find solace and and that comfort in coming to and reading, right, okay, so Michael's funeral or, or public burial was going to be at this place or Michael's, you know, it's, it's not nice news, it's horrible news, but it was nice to to, to think that we would be that place that people people could go to in that time of hmm. need or yeah and yeah the i mean what's what's interesting is that i remember thinking at the time michael's gone now how how are these forums going to survive how is the world as michael fans that we knew going to continue based on the fact that this guy's gone that we we love. And it ended up really the downfall of, of forums in general, even though there's some still around, they're certainly not as popular as they were or vibrant as they were. It, it ended up really not being Michael passing away that caused their, um, what's the word? <laughs> not really demise, but their, their shrinking popularity. It wasn't really Michael passing away that caused that. It was the rise of social media at the time, were you also was you know in the months after Michael passing away, was your team concerned about the future of your forum based on Michael not being alive anymore? Yeah, I think um, I think a few of us were. I mean, I, I tried to maintain a positive outlook on you know Michael physically might not be or might not have been there anymore, but. I was always promoting the message from within my mind that, you know, Michael was much more than life. He always was much more than life. And his artistry, his music, his vision, all of it would just never, never grow smaller. It would always grow with the more fans that come into, into that world. And I think that's still true in some aspects today because the different generations that you have, you know, we've all gone through different things and come into it pre 2009 and post 2009, but you've got that message of Michael's music. And if you want, if you want to be a fan of Michael and you go back into who the man was, or I still refer to the present tense sometimes because it's very difficult to go into that past tense, even though that's, that's real. That's, it is past tense now the fans that go into that world and they see the man that made these songs and made these videos and wrote these poems and wrote these speeches and everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely going off subjects, but no, you're not at all. I think it's great. I think it's great. And what you're talking about is, is Michael's energy and spirit and, and legacy being yeah. alive today and that's the part of him that he would want people to continue talking about and analyzing and discussing and enjoying and just because he physically wasn't there anymore you know after june 2009 
it didn't mean that yeah. that um, his legacy was any less important. And that's the thing I was wrong about in 2009. I really thought that him dying would signal the end of, you know, being yeah. what it was what it was to be a Michael fan, and that's so wrong. Like, it's so not the case. Now, there's more. I mean, there was no Michael Jackson podcast coming out in 2009. There was no Michael Jackson books coming out all the time in, in 2009. If anything, the... Um, energy and and enthusiasm around Michael Jackson has grown since he passed away from what I've seen. Um, yeah. You know, there may, it may not be concentrated in forums, but uh, it certainly is alive and well today and, and people are loving MJ just as much as they ever have. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think something that's united the community because uh, as you say, the so you used to have these small communities on forums and forums kind of became obsolete with the invention of Twitter. But with Twitter, you saw the fan base sort of fragment into a million tiny pieces. But I think one thing that's united the fans has been this sort of quest to see his legacy treated properly, which is something that just came to mind with what Greg was saying about people coming to Michael's music and artwork and then finding out about the man is that there's a a strong feeling among the pre-June 2009 fans that what's happened since Michael's died has been poor at best um, in terms of the way his work has been handled and and re-released and promoted and so on. And it's actually created a kind of a family atmosphere and uh, a unity in the fan base where people stand together and stick up for each other and are sort of working towards a common purpose. I think that Michael's death, I think in, in life, when Michael was alive, there was a lot of competition between fan sites. In fact, I, I know that and I remember that firsthand. There was a lot of competition for who would get the most access and who would get the news first and so on. Whereas since he died, I think there's a far more united sense to the fan base, all working towards the common goal. And I think that's been quite a good positive that's come out of it. Well, I think it has, Charles, in especially in the last two to three years, developed into that. But... Uh... I wouldn't necessarily call the Michael Jackson fan world united and working towards a common cause between oh, the no, years not, 2009 yeah, um, and... No, and I wouldn't say it's totally united now, but I think there's more yeah. I think there's more of a sense of unity than there was before he passed away when there was yeah. actually quite a lot of backbiting and people trying to... I remember, you know, because I was involved in various sites that, you know, one site would try and sabotage the other site. They'd email Michael's team and say, that site's rubbish, you shouldn't deal with them, they're all this, that, and the other. You know, it was there was a kind of a, a malevolence. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well on on that note, and I wanna I really wanna ask about um the years after Michael passing away, because they're they're extremely fascinating to me in terms of the politics of his estate. And um Greg, when you were running Maximum Jackson in the in the years after he passed away, say for 2010, 2011, we, we are talking about 
a very, very controversial period of time where the Michael Jackson estate had drawn a line, a literal, they had drawn a line in the sand. They had released uh, music that they were claiming was Michael Jackson. The fan community at large and his family and collaborators were saying that that music was not Michael Jackson, that it was fraudulently being sold to the community. You must have found yourself in a very, very complicated, difficult position where you were running a Michael Jackson fan site. You, I'd imagine, had some kind of either connection to the estate or liaising with them or at the very least thinking about how you wanted to position yourself in relation to their releases. What was going through your mind at that time that the Michael Jackson estate were potentially and now we know definitely, releasing fraudulent material. And and you were thinking about how am I going to position our site to them? It was, um, yeah, very, very, very difficult. And I'm not sure if I've made my feelings clear before, but my feelings are much as the same as you guys, that Michael does not sing on those songs, and this is my personal opinion. Michael does not sing on those songs or feature on those songs at all, those questionable songs. And that was my initial and my first idea, my first thought as soon as I heard breaking news. And as soon as I heard that, and you know, bearing in mind for the UK listeners, I was waiting up for the premiere at like 5 a.m. to hear it. Straight away, I thought of, okay, what, what are the repercussions of this one questionable song, it's one questionable track going to be for, for Mac Shacks and, and its community. And I had no idea how fast or how bad it would be. And it was crazy, just absolutely nuts. And um, straight away, I think our, our, when I say our, I mean the, the founders or the moderators official stance was going to be let's see it play out but let's try it and keep some sort of order and even though that sounds impossible when it and it almost was it wasn't a complete free-for-all but it allowed people to have that discussion and have those views and i can say this because i did unfortunately have to act upon it but i did receive numerous emails from the estate and sony as takedown requests for the removal of certain threads or people's views and ideas that they had expressed in regards to these tracks and i was not happy about doing so but i knew that the future of max jacks as a whole would be put at risk if I did not comply with these wishes. Wow. So that's massive, Greg. So you're saying you had communications where they were saying that they wanted you to remove posts that had been published by people who said they didn't believe in the songs. Wow. And, And I still have the emails now somewhere, I think. Wow. That's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. and why would they contact? Were you beholden to them in any way? Were you in any way affiliated with or endorsed by Sony or the estate? No. So um, 
I did have previous discussions with Sony for various things, like uh, competitions or or releases of certain things, like the uh, I think it would have been that the Ultimate Collection or, or certain albums or certain things, um, purely for that for that basis. And with the estate, it was for promo basically and promo and news but nothing else but um obviously i I believe they emails my email address which was registered to the domain name and that's how they contacted me and that was the primary source most of the time that i received these takedown requests for certain things wow i think i know someone who might be interested in um receiving copies of those <laughs> uh, emails. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. that's that's really amazing and shocking. Yeah. The fact, the fact that you had nothing to... See, if you were an estate-sponsored website, you could understand the estate saying, we, we want you to stop publishing things that we don't like. But the fact that you're a totally independent outfit and that they feel that they can contact you and start asking you to basically editorialize on their behalf. It just demonstrates an incredible arrogance. Yeah. Did you say something along the lines of you, you knew when you received those emails that the future was in jeopardy for Max Jacks or something? Did you just say that? Yeah, it it was put in such a way that, um, it was put in such a way that I would, that further action would be taken. Oh, wow. So it was like myself a, or, a threat. Yeah, that's how I perceived it. That's how I read it. And that's, that's why I complied. Yeah. Wow. Do you, think, do you think that the Michael Jackson estate and Sony Music today in 2017 is as passionately invested in Michael's online reputation would they do the same sort of thing today as they did in 2010 or do you think that was a different time i think that was very much a different time and i do see them doing certain things you know if there's a massive public outcry about something that they feel they need to respond to then in the in the past and in recent months or years they have done but i think that was a one-off instant that they obviously felt a need to do a very big clean-up on, which yeah. they didn't succeed with. I, I certainly understand your position and I don't know how what I would have done at that time wanting to create. I mean, I could be in that position one day, like as somebody running the MJ cast with Q. Like what, what if one day we receive an email from the estate saying you have to delete this episode or you have to say this, otherwise we're going to shut down the MJ cast. Like, I haven't been in that position. You have. Do you regret your decisions then or do you think you you made the right call? Or In hindsight, what do you think about it's, it? In hindsight, um, I don't know. It's very difficult, as you said. Yeah. But uh, I feel at the time I made a good decision because I didn't want things to be twisted. But it could have gone a completely different way and I could have, for instance, been paid off, figuratively speaking, by the estate to allow things to be said in a different light or 
say things myself in a different light and in support of the album or in, in support of the vocals or the inverted commas independent uh, reviewers I, I could have done that but I, that would have been against my morals and ethics and everything I stood for as a person because that is not what I believed and that is still not what I do believe in, in what happened but I do know that that did go on in, in some communities and some communities were very much affiliated with the state or Sony or both in in their personal views. So you're saying that you have personal knowledge of other fan site owners having basically agreed to support the Casio tracks in return for payment. Payment meaning, for instance, access meaning advance copies of new products that sort of thing so they basically not necessarily cash but they were bought off they they made a deal that they would support these tracks and in return they would get favors you you have knowledge that that happened yeah i believe in in certain instances that this happened and i'm not saying money exchanged hands but i'm saying that it, certain favors were done, or certain um, certain views were changed in in order for this particular view to happen. That it makes sense. But, yeah. And did you ever question anybody who you believed had done that? I didn't personally question certain people that I believe did that or that I knew did that. But at this point in time, I was very wary of who I dealt with as a, as a friend or in, in a professional manner as a fan club founder. Wow. This is like bombshell stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big time shocking stuff. Thanks Greg for being willing to talk to us about some of these inside stories from the time problem so you you moved through 2010 and 2011 they would have been incredibly difficult times as we discussed as a forum founder and owner trying to balance your relationship with the michael jackson estate and the fan community talk to us about the years after that obviously maximum jackson did eventually close down or morph into another community that kind of is active now but talk to us about the, the final years of Maximum Jackson when you were in charge and, and how and why it closed down? Um, okay, this is it's quite a difficult one. But um, I personally, at the time, in my personal life, I'd, I'd moved away from, from home. I was in a different part of the country. And at the time, I felt I didn't have enough time to invest all of this energy into what I considered and what I still do consider my, my, my brainchild, my baby, which I, I treat like a, a child, if you will. I know that sounds silly, but not at all. It was, it was just, I loved every minute and every moment of, of what I did, even, even the bad or upsetting parts. But I, I loved all of it because there might have been times that I was tired or I didn't have time to do something the way I wanted it to be. 
I loved it. And, you know, I'd stay up till five o'clock in the morning just making sure something was right or fixing a server if, if a server went down because I loved it. And it was heartbreaking to have to step away to take care of a per- of my personal life and, you know, maintain responsibilities and do certain things and make time for that rather than Max Jacks. I actually had to step away around 2011, I believe it was, um, and and give up a lot of my responsibilities. However, I did still maintain a, a, an ownership of some sort, if you will, or an ownership of um, you know the domain, the the part ownership of of what happened with the site and everything else. There was a there was a joint. It was a joint venture, and I unfortunately, did step away for a while. But at the same time, I still did check in periodically and make sure things were running okay. You know, people were okay. The the the, the member base was, if not increasing, but staying the same and not dwindling down. You know, it during the history of Max Jacks, the member the member base was always going up. It was never really staying static. Sometimes it would during certain periods of the MJ eras that, well, the late MJ era that we went through and other times it would stay the same, but it never really went down. And it was at these various moments when I came back periodically that I noticed the, the fan base was quite dramatically dwindling and fashioning, factioning into certain areas topic or discussion um, a lot of which and I must say I was not happy with like clicks if you could call it that um, where you know the 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 rules and the, and the guidelines that a lot of us all once stood by was bent in certain ways to accommodate the, the growth or the or the direction that things were being taken with the forum at the time and um i think a lot of it at the time and in in my honest opinion and i know it was in other people's opinions including some founders that the direction in which the community was going was not of a good one and unfortunately it was not living to the legacy of what we believe Michael believed in and, and the, the, the values that we set forth when we conceived Max Jacks. It was going against those values, those core values of people being in a safe, harboring environment rather than an environment that was often associated with some other places that was considered distasteful. So you're saying basically there became a split among the people running the site in opinion as to how it should be run effectively. That's exactly how things went, unfortunately. Okay. So what was happening, so could you give an example for just like one example of the kind of thing that was happening that you were unhappy with? So it might be um, 
Okay, this this is just a just an example. Uh, it might be that a fan would come in and say, you know, Michael is wearing a wig, <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you 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 might get another fan that comes and says, well, I don't think he's wearing a wig all the time. I, I like his hair, but perhaps he's wearing a wig on this particular day. And then, you know, if this this original poster who who has stated that Michael's wearing a wig doesn't like that response he would say something back and you would then get a position of authority naming no names that would side with some person rather than being impartial and they would in in fact attack one of those people for having a different view to of their own and a different view to this particular this this particular person in this position and that was just one example of many examples or many instances where this happened throughout quite a large timeline near the end so you you had a particular member of the the leadership team acting inappropriately in your opinion in communicating with uh, members of the forum and they obviously didn't want to change how they were behaving. Did you challenge that person and say this is inappropriate? Yeah, I did. On um, many instances, these sort of conversations were had between the the leadership team or the moderators or both, uh, mostly the leadership team, in where it was so, well, you know, it's these fans are having these opinions and okay sometimes they do break rules or sometimes they do start their own fights but it's how you deal with these particular situations that conveys the image that we have had for a long time as a healthy and vibrant community that could be tarnished in in such a small time frame by doing simple things that some may deem, deem harmless but will be harmful to a lot of people. And of course, everyone has different opinions. Everyone has different, different ways of doing things. But I myself was, was not happy. And I thought that, or I felt at the time that certain factions or certain cliques were happening because you'd have certain teams or gangs, if you will, it would go against each other in, in with these opinions and it wasn't that safe place anymore in my opinion yeah so when did when did everything wrap up like at what point did you decide it wasn't able to be fixed i think it was and i might be completely wrong on this date i might have to go back but um i think it was early 2012 so what happened that made you pull the plug? What was the final straw? The final straw was um, a classic example of, of, of one of these, of one of the examples I've just given of a particular member being spoken to in such a way that they never deserve to be spoken to like in the first place. You know, we... I, I always hated to see that and that was something I never expected to see on this creation and, and this this website that 
we'd all built. And when I say we, I mean not just the leadership team or the moderators, but also the member base, the member base that had been there from the beginning or that had been there midway through to the end that contributed such a lot, you know, to conversations and threads and pitches and, and their views and polls and everything. And they, they, everyone is what made that site what it what it was and it upset me and made me angry that it had gone a different way and it wasn't because Michael had physically passed and it was post 2009 it was because of certain a certain direction that people took it in that that I disagreed with it sounds also like it was a problem that maybe happened because you, because of your own circumstances, had basically had to step away. So it's a bit, it sounds a bit like while the cat's away, the mice will play. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. And then uh, it evolved, didn't it, the, the forum? It didn't really... Well, it closed in the sense that um, you can't access maximum-jackson.com anymore. But there is still another forum out there now called History Continues, and it's, I think it even has the words Max Jacks in the title. What, what happened there? So some of the leadership team, some remaining members, decided to start a new forum based on the old one or after you closed it? Yeah, so in, in my um, in my announcement of of Maximum Jackson being closed, and you you can see that on the original domain is is still hosted by myself. It's still there. I basically just said, you know, I've got no problem with any founders or any any members of the leadership team or moderation team continuing something with the Maximum Jackson name. I mean, as I stated, I I never owned that name. I never created that name. That was um, someone else's creation, and it's completely up to them what they do. Um, but obviously, they cannot do it with that original domain, and that's what they did. Um, I believe they sought to have the original database or the original site that we all had, but unfortunately, that was impossible because I, I actually had deleted it at the time. Um, I don't think I even had any copies, and if I have, I have no idea where they are. Um, yeah, that that was it. I effectively deleted that that moment out of my life for good. I decided to just, just do it and and just do it and just have done with it. And that chapter was closed in in my heart and in my head. And as I said, it, it was. Definitely my baby. I'm sure it was other people's babies as well. You know, other people loved it. It was it was horrible. It was an awful time. And I do remember my um, my late cousin, which I consider to be my brother, my my late cousin Scott. He knew how many upsetting times I went through with the site, with with frustration, with frustration of how things were turning out, and particular discussions or particular volatile discussions and he said from the beginning you know greg you need to listen to me and you need to listen to other people you own this domain you you have a lot of chips in in this 
in this venture, you know, just do what you feel is right and end it on a positive note before it gets even worse and just do what you need to do. And I listened to his words and that's what happened. And you can go now to maximum-jackson.com and, and see that, that message um, about closing it. And uh, it's pretty funny, actually, some parts in it. <laughs> Ass was definitely kicked within the infancy and prime of maximumjackson.com. Boundaries broken and milestones set. Michael forever. And then underneath that, you've also got a link where you go into more detail in an article around why it was shut. So I think it's it's great that you put that up to um, to give people a little bit more insight into the politics of what was happening and why you decided to close what was, in my opinion, the best Michael Jackson forum um, online. But I want to ask you now about what what the future holds. I mean, the website's still there. You said you've still got a passion for communities around Michael Jackson. What, you know, are you, are you thinking at all about anything you might want? I know with creative types, <laughs> you know, people people don't let like to sit there and not do anything. So do, do no, you have any it, plans it for stops. the future? I do. Um, I can't say too much because I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. But for a very long time, and this, this you know, this has been years since Max Jacks, really, since Max Jacks actually ended and closed its, closed its doors, I've been working on something else. And, um, yeah, I... It's going to be a completely different direction while still maintaining a community of some sorts. Um, and I have to add that before Max Jacks was conceived to be a forum or a front page news website, I was initially working on a website that was passionate about collections and collecting Michael Jackson memorabilia. You know, album back catalogue releases, LPs from you know rare places. That was that was my passion. It still is my passion. Unfortunately, I don't get to collect a lot of things these days with you know money and stuff and space. But that is something I enjoy doing. And this current project I am still working on. You know, I'm, I'm still tinkering on things, certain things of it every week, every weekend. Uh, but it's grown to be so vast, it's taken a lot longer than I originally thought it would. But um, it's going to be all things Michael Jackson, basically, in the in the sense of content and imagery and information. That's exciting. And, and, you know, there are online communities out there at the moment on social media, but one of the problems is with them, the way social media is set up, once something's kind of discussed and, and looked into, it's, it disappears, it goes away. It goes down a giant big thread of communication until you can't really find it anymore. So um, whatever you've got planned in your head sounds incredibly exciting and I can't wait to see what the next chapter is of what Greg Spinks offers the Michael Jackson fan world. So we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that and keep our audience up to date with whatever comes. Thank you. I really respect that and I can't wait for you to see it either. It's, um, I'm very proud of what I've achieved so far. And let me say this, it's going to be very visual. Awesome. That's very exciting. 
All right. So, Greg, we've got to hear from you. We've got to, we ask this of, of pretty much most uh, guests we have on the show. But we've got, we've got to ask you about what your favorite Michael Jackson stuff is. Uh, I want you to tell us what your favorite album is, song, tour, and video. Okay. In that order, my favorite album is without a doubt Dangerous. I think it's the most creative and dark and mysterious album Michael ever did. I just absolutely love it, um, every moment of it. My favorite song, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, I would definitely say that is Smooth Criminal. The same for the video. The video from Smooth Criminal is just crazy and astounding and you know, I would do anything to go on that set, that club that is <laughs> I'd do anything just to even create it or see it as a club one day in in, in real life. Favourite tour? Bad. Of course bad. Definitely bad. Charlie's favourite runs the history tour. He loves history. Yeah, he loves all of those well, uh, dance a moves passionate and lyrics advocate and stuff. for lip syncing. Um, oh, yeah. Nothing like a good lip sync song. <laughs> How you doing? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my my favorite tour definitely was was bad, and uh, yeah, as I said, the video was smooth criminal, and kind of Billy Jean for the the visuals as well. I, can I can I have a split choice for that, or does it have to be one? If you want. <laughs> Definitely 50-50 with uh, Billie Jean and Smooth Crew with them. But yeah, that's my favourite picks.
Hi, this is Sam from the Michael Jackson Academia Project, and you are listening to the MJ Cast. Um, I would like to apologise for the song that we've just played, which was Tame Impala's cover of Stranger in Moscow. Uh, we're now going to um, find out everybody's finds of the week. So, Jamin, what is your find of the week? Well, I'm just going to start by saying that I actually really like Tame Impala's Stranger in Moscow, and I'm obviously very alone in that fact because I know Q does not like it either. Um, so anyway, all good. <laughs> um, my find of the week is all to do with something I'm quite interested in, typefaces or fonts. One thing I love in the Michael fan world is when people use their own expertise and their own passions and interests to look at an element of something that Michael Jackson did and either expand on it or try to preserve it or something like that. And that's that's certainly what the creator of this project that I'm looking at um, has done. This is a project that um, has been put together um, on a website called RW2 Designs. This website uh, was put together by Randall Wilson II. And it's a uh, more or less an article uh, called The Many Typefaces of Michael Jackson. And it focuses right in on all the different typography and fonts that Michael used on the different marketing materials of his solo albums, all the way from off the wall uh, right through. And this is a, a great website because what it does is it actually takes the typography and takes the, the f- different font elements from his, from his art on the, on the album covers and actually recreates them on the website in a totally fresh sort of um, way where you can actually take the fonts themselves, you can download them and use them in your own material that you may want to create your own projects to do with Michael Jackson. Um, it's really cool how, how this person sort of analyzes all the different fonts, the different weights of the different characters, the different original fonts that we used to put together these different um, designs. Very interesting that, that he analyzes them in, in great, great detail. Um, so check it out if you're interested in typography and print and um, different fonts and you want to learn about the different fonts that Michael used and actually take them and then use them in your own projects, make sure you check out RW2 Designs um, because there's some fascinating, fascinating information on there. Um, Yeah, that's my find. Okay, so uh, Greg, what is your find of the week? Uh, My find, and I've only seen it today actually, uh, is Prince's new tattoo, Uh, Prince Jackson. He's got a new tattoo on his calf of uh, Michael. Looks like he's wearing the um, it's the You Rock My World pose with uh, some wings, like some angel wings. Yeah, it's all it's awesome. Uh, it's got like little stars around his feet and stuff. And uh, I've actually recently had a tattoo done myself, um, non Michael related, but I've got a strange, found new passion for. Michael tattoos that I think he's just looks awesome but yeah that's my fine for the week it looks great well done Prince I liked it a lot I think um, both him and his sister I think it's really cool how they get um, tattoos of, of their dad to honor him and I loved it I thought it was really cool it reminded me of a blend of like obviously the poses from Smooth Criminal but yeah, yeah the yeah. coloring the red coloring of the shirt and stuff reminded me of Dangerous or you know You Rock My World or something it's very cool yeah Definitely. It's awesome. 
Charles, your find? Uh, my find of the week, because I could not believe that neither of you had seen it before, is uh, the Jacksons performing I'll Be There in Antwerp in 2012. So we're going to put a link to that in the show notes because this is a phenomenal performance and um, I'm just I'm horrified that you, you didn't know it existed. <laughs> I'll make sure to watch it as soon as the show's over, lest I be yelled at by Charles. <laughs> All right. Well, they were our finds of the week. So thank you guys very much for joining us, especially at this very crazy UK hour. I think it must be, what is it now? It must be getting close to three in the morning or something. It's uh, 3.28. 3.28. Yeah. I've got to get let you guys go get some sleep. Um, but just before we go, I'm going to talk about where people can find us online. We are the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson and the Jacksons. We cover the latest news on Michael and his family. And we also give special interviews uh, and episodes as well where we talk to people who knew Michael and worked with him to find out even more information about that amazing, amazing artist. Um, Look, if you want to connect with us online, we are at themjcast.com. That's our main repository for all things The MJ Cast. If you want to connect with us on social media, we are at The MJ Cast on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook at facebook.com slash The MJ Cast. We're on Tumblr at themjcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on YouTube if you want to watch some uh, videos we've put together, youtube.com slash C slash themjcast. And also we love emails from our listeners. So make sure to email us at themjcast at icloud.com. Thank you for all of those people that have emailed us. Look, if you want to subscribe to us, we'd strongly encourage it. It's way better to subscribe to podcasts than stream them on the website, Charles. Um, You can actually access the MJCast on iTunes. Of course, that's our main platform. Just search the MJCast, hit subscribe, and then you get the latest episodes of the MJ cast delivered directly to your device, uh, including all the show notes right there on, on the um, podcast app. We're also on Stitcher radio, tune in Google play Podbean, And like I said earlier, we are on YouTube as well. Uh, gentlemen, where can people find you online if they want to chat with you? Um, well, I don't stream the podcast on the website. I download <laughs> it as an MP3. Um, <laughs> It's even worse, you can Brenda. find me on Twitter at C.E. Thompson or you can visit my website at www.charles-thompson.net. Thompson spelt without a P, please. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook under Greg Spinks. Uh, you type me in, I'm guessing, on Twitter. I come under the handle of Starlight, as in the original demo name or thriller, Starlight Grove, G-R-O-V-E at the end of Starlight. So you'll find me under there. Awesome. Sounds great. And we look forward to seeing again, Greg, what you've got to offer in the future in terms of Michael Jackson websites. It's going to be very, very interesting. Can't wait to have you back on the show again one day. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thank you very much. It was great. It was definitely an honor. Just going to take a few moments now to give you guys our second secret phrase uh, that's required for our competition that we're running around goodies from Brad Sundberg's In the Studio with MJ Tour in Australia earlier this year. Q's got some great things that we're going to give away to some lucky listeners. 
You can find all of the details for that competition in episode 51, He's a Lover, Not a Fighter. Uh, we, we talk all in there about how the uh, secret uh, phrases work and how you need to email them through to us. Uh, make sure you are listening to the next episode, the next regular episode of the MJ Cast, I should say, uh, which will be episode 55. And in that episode, we'll give you the third and final secret phrase that you need to send through to the MJCast at iCloud.com. You need to send through all three of them. I'm not going to repeat what the first one was. You need to go back and listen to episode 51 to hear that. Uh, but just make sure you combine it with today's secret phrase and the next one. Send it through to the MJCast at iCloud.com and you'll go into the running to win some great, great prizes, uh, courtesy of Q and Brad Sunderberg. Uh, from in the studio with Michael Jackson. Okay, so what is the secret phrase for today? It is from one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs, Met Her on the Way to Chicago. Good luck. Just want to give a few thank yous as well to uh, listeners. I want to say thanks to Nada, a.k.a. at Overloved. Uh, we had a great debate and interaction um, just around Michael Bush um, and her great review of, of Michael Bush's book. You can actually find her a link to that review in the show notes. We had a, a really cool debate about the, uh, the, the value that the book may hold, even though uh, we know about some of the different um, behaviors <laughs> Michael Bush has exhibited over the years with his uh, memorabilia being auctioned. So thank you, Nada. It was really, really fun talking with you. I also want to say thank you as well to Marita, uh, maritamusic.com. Uh, her, her Twitter handle is at Marita Applehead. Uh, we love interacting with you on Twitter. Thank you so much. Uh, you've been a, one of our top interactors over the past couple of weeks. Of course, I um, want to give a big shout out as well to Ashley and Carly, both on Twitter. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Charles Thompson, thank you again for joining us on the MJ Cast. It's always a pleasure having you on. I love collaborating with you. Thanks, mate. No problem. It's a pleasure, as always, to be invited. Okay, well, that's our show for the next fortnight, episode 53 of the MJ Cast. Big news show right there for you to enjoy all the, the latest news on Michael Jackson. We're going to see you guys back here in exactly a fortnight's time uh, with another special episode, not giving away any secrets on who's going to be on that show, but it's uh, one we're very interested to, to give out to you guys. Enjoy your fortnight ahead and keep Michaeling. Charles, do you want to take us into Professor X? <laughs> it's going to be okay. a hard segue. All right, I know nothing. That, I know nothing <laughs> about this segue, indeed. So I'm going to. Well, Greg, do you, do you want to do up. it then? It's now, up to you. What would be? Yeah, Greg, you can do it, and don't ask me because I don't know anything about it. Oh, I don't know nothing, nothing about it either. Okay. Okay, I'll I'll do it. Jamin, why don't you why don't you introduce it and then just talk uh, about it?
amongst yourself? Well, I've done the first five or something, but I don't want to do too many more, but that's okay. You do, I'll do this one. You guys can do the rest. Okay. Look, look, I'll, I'll, int- I'll introduce it and then say, Jamin, yeah. you're the expert. <laughs> Over to you. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, speaking of no there's no link here is there there's no link whatsoever you can't segue the jacksons to professor x (laughs) speaking of yeah no just make a joke of that speaking of um the jacksons performing live michael wanted to play professor x (laughs) (laughs) you could just use the 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 pun that you know let's segue over to professor x because you can just imagine michael on a segue with like you know the whole Professor X thing going on, right? Okay, in that case, Greg, you're in charge. I'm going on mute. Go, Greg. Why me? Go, go, go. Ah, uh, I don't even know what to say. Um, Thought you just had a whole yeah. line worked out about a segue. Yeah, but it sounds stupid. Oh, what about speaking of? Aging pop icons. No. <laughs> Speaking of aging. That's not going to go down well. <laughs> no. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of balding superheroes. <laughs> Michael wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wheelchair bound. <laughs> Is he the one in the wheelchair? Yes. Is is he Patrick Stewart? Is that him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in other news from no relation whatsoever to the Jacksons, we're going to be talking about Professor X that Michael allegedly was going to play. There you go. Okay. Can you do that again? (laughs) (laughs) Just one more time. The MJ Cast.